0: Are we going, Liam?
1: Yeah, we're on. Let's it's going. First
0: things first, most importantly then. We are one years old, Liam, today. Oh wait. Today, yeah. Today is the day. It popped up on my Facebook feed saying I'd put a photo up Shit, one year Hold ago. on, hold on, hold on. Wait, oh what's he gonna go with? Don't lose the moment, Liam. Surely there's is not a happy birthday one? There's not. I mean, that
1: literally goes to show how much this podcast production has improved in an entire year. Is all we've achieved? It is stupid, shitty cheering in the background.
0: Hey, but at least the, the level of uh, the level of who we talk to has gone upwards.
1: Yeah, not just me. Because I mean,
0: last ta- last year, this time last year, we couldn't have even got one of the top five winners of the Molokai Challenge, and, and, <laughs> and now we got. And top now we got two. top two. You couldn't even get
2: number one. You had to settle for second I place. I know. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> Jimmy you. we, Jimmy we peaked like, nah.
0: too
1: soon with Jimmy.
0: <laughs> I was. Uh, I, I put the live stream on the other day, right? To to watch, and I didn't. I apologise, but I didn't think you were going to be in the contention of first place until I sort of was like, oh, check out what's going on. I'm not going to get hooked because I'm not going to fucking stare at a load of live dots on a screen. And then I went, ooh, we're talking to Oscar on Tuesday. If he wins, this could be sick. And then you fucking ruined it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You know, I had the same thought in the middle of the race. I was like, I kind of I knew where Jimmy was, and I was like, I was in the lead, and I was like, "Fuck, we got the podcast on shoes." I was like,
0: "This is good timing. This lines up really well. This
2: is <laughs> great."
0: Like, yeah. So suddenly, I went, I went from being like not well, a little bit frothed about it, to suddenly like cheering from you <laughs> from the other side of the world, thinking this is going to benefit me. It's yeah. going to benefit me.
2: It's got nothing to do with me. You weren't cheering for me at all. It was
1: just
0: how could Absolutely the podcast not. gonna do? I did weigh up. Do we just sack him off and get Jimmy back on quickly again? Is that?
1: But what he's not letting on, Oscar, is the fact that actually I think he's more excited about being able to make jokes. <laughs> he's probably happier now being able to take the piss than if you don't yeah, want exactly. I really am. Oh, First place loser, that's it. That's all it is.
0: Yeah. For all the, for all the listeners, for all the couple of people that listen to this, um, we have been throwing abuse at each other quite continually for the last few months. So we kind of understood that you had a bit of a um, a humour. And, uh, yeah, as soon as... I've just been looking forward to it because I thought as soon as I could fucking rip straight into him about coming second and not winning. And being so close! Oh, so know. unbelievably
2: close! That was so brutal. That- but, I mean, I, it was. I was I, at first I thought it was Andrew. So, like, for those who haven't been watching... I guess, there's not too many people that watch all these races and follow them, I think. But for those who haven't, the Hawaiian boys have been killing it. They've been doing so good in all the races. And it was kind of, the Aussie boys, we stick together. So it was like one of those, I thought when it was, I saw someone out of the corner of my eye pumping past, and I was like, I was like, it's Andrew. And I was like, oh, and I put my head down, and I was, like, I was weirdly bummed. I was like, oh, it's another Hawaiian. Kept paddling, and I looked up, and I saw it was Jimmy. And I just like, I was like, Fuck yeah, it's an Aussie. I was like, Yeah, it's alright <laughs> I was like if anyone's gonna take me, I'm glad it was another Aussie, so nah, he, he deserved it. Like that finish for him was incredible. How he I think he I'm still trying to work out the details. Like talking to him he said I I saw a clip and he, he paddled up out at China walls. So
0: yeah.
2: you guys don't know the run, do you?
0: No, but no. I, I watched I watched the ending. I watched yeah, cuz yeah. um,
1: I think is the China Walls that there, there's a lot of clips of that finish by the look yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. Is that what we've seen on social media quite a lot? So
2: essentially the run you start kind of north ish tip of Molokai and you pretty much straight line across to the south, south eastern tip of Oahu. And you sort of, you run a fair little way along the coast of Oahu, and then you basically turn the corner and there's this just little cliff line where a lot, normally just people swim, jump off, whatever, you know, maybe it's three, four meters up, but you can't see it until you turn the corner. And so I came around the corner, I suppose, yeah, in first, and as soon as you saw people, it just erupted. People were just yelling. I could hear, there was actually a a local girl from home, Lisa, just yell. She's like, "Ozzy, Ozzy, Ozzy!" And I was just like, for some reason, just her voice just stuck out. And I was just, you know, to your left, there's, I don't know, 10 boats all following you. There's media boats. You come around the corner, there was a chopper hovering. And it was just like, it goes from like you just being out in the middle of the ocean by yourself to just this absolute circus running in. And so I, I got quite a good run past China Wall. So once you come around China Walls, effectively you do a hundred, almost a hundred and eighty degree turn. The wind becomes like a straight headwind, in which you've gone from having, you know, downwind conditions where you go on with the bumps, it's all good. To all of a sudden, dead flat water, twenty knot headwind. So it's just a, it's a brutal way to what's already been. A tough race to just finish with that headwind. And I got a good way in, but Jimmy, I think he hit his paddle um, foiling out at China Walls and fell. So he was just like, I'm out of the race. It was me and Edo kind of got through. And I got a decent way in that I was sort of like, I was ahead of Edo and I kind of thought I had him covered. So I was was going hard at that stage still. But then Jimmy, I think he, he got up out at China Walls, caught another bump, made it, I think, all the way at least to Pillars. And by the sounds of it, he got another one at Pillars and rode past me. I don't know if he did that all in one go or if it was in two stages, but he just, he's an animal.
1: And I just... I saw that clip of him getting back up and it did not look, I mean, presumably he'd already been on foil for how long at that point? An hour and a half? Two hours? Yeah, it would have been close to two hours, I reckon, by that point. And he just was, it
2: just looked like he'd just stepped out and, bosh he's up. He, he's, he's such a strong paddler. Like you can see his SUP experience. Every race we've had, he's the first guy on foil. Like No doubt. Him and Kyle Lenny are always just... They're the first guys up. They're so strong paddling.
0: But And I, I had realized uh, after watching his last KC catch-up with Kai that he... I, and I'd reminded myself that he won it. They haven't run the event since 2019, have they? And he won it on no. SUP the last time they did it. Uh, and it was the last yeah. and it, and it yeah. was obviously the last one that he wanted to do on sup because it was becoming so apparent that foil was going to take over next time and then he came back and won it on foil which is obviously what he wanted yeah.
1: to do is 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 that difficult finish for downwinding is that as a result of this race being set up as a paddle race yeah exactly Or was it conditions this year
2: no that's i mean to be honest the finish with the conditions this year were almost as good as they get Normally, like when we turned the corner, you probably had, I reckon, a 15-knot headwind. Normally, you've got like a 30-knot headwind. It's so much worse. So we had it, in the scheme of things, pretty good. And I was... I've done the approach once before, and it it was 30 knots of headwind. And especially, like, we're all running effectively the fastest foils we can. So your pump speed's way higher than it is normally. And so then you kind of factor that into the fact that you've got a 30 knot headwind and all of a sudden it's a 45 knot headwind and it's just, you're going nowhere against it. And so for us, it just sucks. So everyone effectively starts tuning all their gear for the start and the finish because the start's flat water um, and the finish is a paddle. Like it's not, you're not going to be paddling up into a 30 (laughs) knot headwind. So guys, like, you know, a couple weeks before the race is showing up with, 9 foot by 16 wide boards. These like absolute toothpicks. Because they're like... I can paddle up a small foil off the start line with such a long board. But also, the finish is going to be a paddle battle. So now I've got a 9 foot board, which is, you know... You're starting to get into the prone board kind of length. So, everyone was just... There were so many gains with what gear everyone was riding. Their, their strategies, their tactics. Their, it all comes into it. So, even though... The finish line i guess followed what the um yeah the all the past events have been we all tuned our gear for it and i think you know when you look at like the molokai uh, sorry the maui to molokai races that's a, a, a race that kind of starts in the bump and effectively almost finishes in the bumps and it becomes somewhat boring of a race because you know once the guys get off the line 10 minutes in some little gaps are starting to form And as long as you don't make any mistakes, they kind of finish like that. The same order kind of just holds throughout the whole race. Whereas with this, some guys will run, you know, really small foils that they know they can't pump off the start. But they'll just paddle 10 minutes out till they get into big enough bumps, paddle up, and then they'll just absolutely fly through the channel. And they'll make up all that ground. So Kai's done it in the past where he didn't get up off the start line, paddled out on a small foil, and then overtook everyone throughout you know across the channel so i kind of like it i think it it adds a lot of there's some element of game to it all there's tactics there's you just never know what's going to happen so
0: you don't get it
1: what was the atmosphere like on the start line with this being the first one for a few years and with foiling being new and you know it's such a it seems like such a close-knit community still because the elite within this sport yeah, there are people that have got experience in this sport, but it's all a new elite, right? Like it's, what was the atmosphere like at the start? I actually had this conversation
2: um, and it was with Simeon, um, who runs Voyager Foiler. Um, and I said that to him, I was like, it's really hard and it has been hard these last, I guess we've had sort of two weeks worth of racing to switch into that competitive mode because all of us, you know, these races haven't run for so long. So we've just got... Everyone's got banter amongst each other. We're giving each other shit when we fail on runs. And, like, everyone's feeding off each other, learning off each other. And, like, we come together then, you know, the week before... Uh, like, three weeks ago, the week before the... Um, Molokai to Mau- or Maui to Molokai. And everyone's just frothing. We did a run, and there would have been 20 of us on the Malika run in Maui. And, like, we were all just frothing. Like, guys are just flying all over the place like everyone's just having the best time and then all of a sudden you're lining up on a start line for a race and you're like we're still cheering for each other kind of going this is epic but also like trying to somewhat find a kind of competitive mindset and it it was hard to balance I kind of said that to Simeon I was like dude I like I want to beat you and I want to get off the line and you're next to me I want to get off the line quicker than you but like I'll be bummed if you don't get up But I'll also be stoked if you don't get up. And like, it's just a weird (laughs) wishing
1: for anyone else to run into seaweed. (laughs) Yeah,
2: exactly. And it's like, and it was weird. Like, so effectively, I think it was me. I had Kyle Lenny on my right. So once we got up on foil and kind of started, there's you've kind of got a cross tailwind, and you're just pretty much pumping, trying to find any bit of energy to kind of get a little bit of a break. And this lasts for like 10 to 15 minutes. It's, it's brutal to start. And effectively, I think maybe the couple minutes in, Kyle was on my right. James Casey was on my left. He'd kind of, he was starting to move over and getting closer. And Andrew as well, who's long-armed ape um, on Instagram, which same thing, I actually didn't know his name before I came over here. I just know everyone by their Instagram handles. But we were, we were kind of going out and Kai just kind of ran out of gas. Like he was pumping well. And just kind of dropped. And he just looked cooked. And it was the first time I kind of was like, Holy shit. I was like, Kyle Lenny just dropped. And I was like, I'm still on foil. I'm feeling good. I was like, fuck. I was like, it just kind of like, I was like, I got a bit nervous. Like, let's keep going, keep going. And then about, I don't know, yeah, maybe another five minutes in, we started to get in a bit of bump that we could kind of get a bit of a rest, get our breath back. And Andrew was there and he just comes over and he's like, dude, is anyone else with us? And I was like, i was like i know jimmy's like on my inside like i'm pretty sure it's just us and like we both just started like kind of frothing out we're like fuck yeah we made it like dude like this we kind of just started losing our mind but it, like it lasted for like 10 seconds and all of a sudden it was like all right fuck we're in a race it's on and then we just like <laughs> head down didn't say anything and just went oh, what, but, that's like
1: that's only like 15 minutes in
2: yeah that was 15 minutes and that's where like the mindset's like you know they're all guys that we talk with we love like we're all such good mates i was like to have a little moment like mid-race like that and be like you know we're still frothing and still like being present taking it all in and then it's like all right mind switches again we're back on let's go so
1: this sounds hilarious if i um if i'd had even at the first 10 minutes, if I'd had an experience like that and fucking Kai Lenny's dropped off for yeah. and I've gone by, I'd have been going,
0: fuck yeah, victory! <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was my biggest achievement of the race. I was like, I'm
0: fucking beating Kai Lenny. It's like, yes. Uh, well, so whenever I caught up with it, I mean, you were fairly far into the race at this, at this point, Kai was miles away. Like, he was fucking miles away. I had to scroll, because you wouldn't have seen it, but the, the live stream comes up with all the dots of where everyone is. And yeah. after it took, it took me 15 minutes to figure out what the hell I was looking at, and wing foils were, like, miles ahead, obviously. And then I found your little pocket of you, Edo, what's the Kiwi bloke called? Was it Kiwi or American, sorry? Whoever was with you. Uh, Andrew. Andrew, sorry, yeah, there you go. Uh, and yeah. J- James, and that little pocket, and I was like, Where's Kai? Where's, where's the other guys? He was miles away, but obviously he caught up. What, what happened to him then? Obviously yeah. he kicked his ass off the line, but then what?
2: <laughs> well, I guess he ran a small foil. So that's kind of where the tactics come into it. So the small foil means you're going to struggle to make it into the wind line in one go. And a lot of us were kind of chatting that tactic early on. You know, it, it looked light from the start. It looked like you had a mile and a half, two miles before you were even starting to see some scary of bump it was a long way out and so guys were saying like you paddle up on the start like flat water start start pumping until you just can't come down and just kind of get your breath back under control for maybe 20 30 seconds and have another crack like just kind of do it in in stages to get out but one of the big things is that so normally with the paddlers they say i think it's 30 to 45 minutes Basically, they all start paddling out and then all your escort boats, so every rider has to have an escort boat and they all sit off to the left. And so normally they give them 30 to 45 minutes of them paddling out. And then once they start getting to barns, guys start doing their, you know, setting their lines, the boats will start coming in and finding their riders. With the foils and especially because the wing guys were going, they knew like the wing guys effectively should have lost all their escorts if it was good conditions. There are, you know, talking to like Aiden Nichols, who came second as well in the wingfoil division. He's um, uh, an Armstrong rider as well, and he's living with us. And doing his test runs and looking at the speeds that he was averaging for his test runs, we kind of checked in with my boat guy and we're like, is there a boat that can keep up with these speeds for the whole crossing? Because they made a rule that if you lose your boat, you have to slow down and wait for your boat to catch back up. Which in a race, fucking no one's going to do that. No one. <laughs> so we kind of just said, "Is what what boats are there that can keep up at these? Av- like they're they're running over thirty mile an hour averages." And so wow. he's like, "There are two boats in the Hawaiian Islands, the two Red Bull boats." He's like, "They're the only two boats that could keep up with a thirty mile an hour average across the channel." He's like, "No, that there are no other boats that can." So everyone effectively went and gone. They're going to just. We're going to lose them. And I think the race organizers kind of knew that as well. And so as soon as we kind of started making some ground, got off, like I think within two minutes, they called the boats in, which means the boats can start finding their riders. And so at this stage, you know, Kai probably dropped a a couple minutes after that call made, was made. But as soon as you drop the lead riders, like me, James and Andrew, our boats come in. And all the weight that gets thrown around, like trying to find a bump to paddle up on with all this cross chop. You've got the wingers' boats that just flew past at 30 miles an hour. You've got our boats ploughing a bit slower at our pump speed. It's just, It was an absolute mess. The guys that fell in there would have struggled to paddle back up. And I think Kai kind of got stuck in that. I heard it took him a number of attempts to get up and get out into the wind line. So that would have just held him back. But then it, he was on a small foil, so once he got out into the windline and got into the bumps, he would have made a lot of ground up. So that's kind of where all the tactics come into it.
0: Yeah. I did wonder with the boats. I often wonder with stuff like that because uh, on, the, on the paddleboard side of things, a couple of races I've been to over here where they've been running in, in live boat areas and boats have gone past and they've jumped on... The wake of the boat and then you're suddenly thinking well hang on you can't do that and I was watching it was right at the end and I, I don't know if it was a video of Annie or something like that and there's boats like snaking in between riders and you're just thinking I'm sure you're not you're not intentionally doing it but at the same time you're quite obviously going to screw the the person behind over by by doing what you're doing so there's got to be I understand there's got to be a safety element to it with each you know because you're riding miles out to sea but I wonder if there's a way around fucking everyone else over by driving boat boatworks in front of everybody
2: yeah know. and that's i mean that's their like the m2m you don't run escort boats um i think m2o we had gps devices which like the wingers had to wear gps devices the foilers you could put it on your boat so mine was on my boat so if you you were tracking my boat not me which is pretty much you know they stay with us the whole way um and I think the GPS is probably a good solution. I think it becomes prohibitively expensive to attend one of these races if you need to pay anywhere from You know, the cheapest boat realistically most boats are about fifteen hundred US dollars to get an escort boat for the crossing, which is it's just ma- you know. Then you got four hundred dollar f- um entry fee. You've got to get over there, which yeah,
0: but you're not, not the it. you're not paying You're not paying any of this. You're you're too big nowadays, Oscar. You don't. You just send the bills to army, don't you?
2: Thankfully yes. Expense it all to army. <laughs> he has got the bedroom just across me, so I just gotta, you know
1: <laughs> keep the expenses. You know talks how to people me. have suggested that um, people have suggested that you and I get involved for a laugh Freddie? <laughs> maybe um, maybe that wouldn't be the best use of finance.
0: No, I reckon there's a few things we'd wanna do before we tried and did that.
2: Oh yeah. I mean and if you wanted to look for a downwind run, it's a shit downwind run. Really? Whatever anyone tells you about the Molokai, it, sh- it is a... You, you start the run and you go, oh, if I was doing a good downwind run, I'd go that way. And you go 90 degrees the other way. You're just cutting the whole way.
0: Is that because of the conditions that you had on the day this year or is that just in general?
2: Oh, we, we had, in terms of the, the wind direction and everything, we had as good of direction as we could have. But you're still just cutting right the whole way. And so effectively you track, most guys just track a dead straight line to China walls. And so you're kind of just watching your line. The swell's usually coming from the north and running towards your left. And so if you want to go fast, you go left. But then you just lose track of your line. So you then got to cut start. Then if you get a fast section, run with it for a bit. You'll probably lose. I was losing, if I went through a fast section, I'd probably lose at least 100 meters off my line each time. And then I'd start tracking back up to my line. Then I'd wait. To see if I could find a, a good set and then run with it, and you're kind of just doing that forever zigzag with your line. So, yeah, it's not a. If you're going to look for the ideal run, that's not the one.
1: So, when you're referring to this zigzag, like what what? So you, it sounds to me like the first ten to fifteen minutes was effectively a flat water paddle up and a pump contest. Yeah. <laughs> so then you're out into the swell. Are you saying that when you're going left, you're actually picking up decent waves, you're just basically staying on foil, going with it, whereas when you're going right to get back, you were having to, what, keep pulling off the swell to jump to the next one and just to kind of go jumping back over the swell lines repeatedly? Yeah,
2: exactly. So normally, you've got a lot more... I think the wind was pretty light for our crossing, Um, so you you just weren't tapping into any of that wind energy, you're only really tapping into the swell energy, and you'd probably feel... Depen- at different stages, there's usually probably three different stages of the, or three different conditions across the, the whole channel. And, you know, towards the middle, it weirdly gets a bit lighter, but you've probably got two or three swells in the mix. So we kind of had the, the dominant swells that um, northerly that just pushes down. You want to ride them to the south and go left with them. And that's kind of the biggest swell. But then there's you feel whether it comes from reverb, refraction, whatever it is. There's just there's always a couple other swells in the mix, and so there was a I could usually there was a nice swell that actually was coming under me and moving back in the correct direction. But they were very rare. They seemed to come through every five minutes, and once you found one of them, you could really track back up to your line and get kind of make a heap of ground in the right direction. Well. But more than not, you were just running the swells to the left. And then you'd kind of realize, you're like, I can't stay with this for much longer because I'm going to get too far off. So you just peel off and just start moving to the one behind and kind of ride it for a little bit and then peel off. And ultimately, you don't want to be pumping between them. Like, if you need to peel off and move to the one behind, you don't want to pump that. So you kind of want to get as much of a boost from that wave as possible. Peel off with as much speed as you can and try and glide to the one behind rather than pump it because... You're just trying to conserve energy as much as you can, really, so the less you
1: pump, the easier that crossing's going to be so there's not the motivation is to just stay on forward and preserve energy. It's never like you're actually pushing forward to the next swell line in front. You're always either staying on it or going back, yeah, yeah, same as a normal downwind run, I guess, yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: I'm quite enjoying the uh difference here, Liam. Of the last conversation we had about downwinding with Rich last week on the Wang Lords episode, about how we pretty much dismissed it as a UK pastime for ourselves, say UK, but our Southwest UK, and and yet I am just sat here listening to you, Oscar, thinking I want to ask him this. I want to ask him this. I want to know what this is. This is so cool. I want to know more. I want to know more, and it's such a contrast. But I guess it's. It's Maui, isn't it? It's, it's Hawaii. It's downwinding central. I don't know. What What do yeah, you think, Liam, yeah. having listened to Oscar dri- drivel on for 10 minutes or whatever it is? <laughs> drivel on.
1: <laughs> well, no, I think... Like I said, I can see the adventure sides to this sport and I can see, actually, whenever you add a race element to it, all the better. And I actually think, Oscar, it must be a really cool time to be involved in this sport because that... You that even like I reckon that none of you guys that are on that starting fleet this is a very difficult sport and it's at a very early day like we're in early days of a very difficult sport and so the people that are going to get good at that at this moment in time there's going to be some level of competitiveness even if it's just with themselves do you know what I mean? Like, it, I think I think that all driven people have some sort of competitiveness, but at the same time, being so new and having that friendly nature, I reckon this could be some of the most enjoyable years to actually be attending these events because that fun balance between the two—it's almost like there's never a bad result. Yeah, and it just the fact that it's a competition just to my mind only adds to the adventure element, which is the bit that does appeal to me about downwinding. Yeah, I see it as a challenge and an adventure. I don't think it's ever going to be the same momentary thrill as proning or winging in, you know, good conditions is going to be, but it's the adventure, isn't it? It's the challenge, it's all of it. So yeah. Yeah. No, it's definitely appealing.
2: Oh, you you notice it pretty quickly. I mean, the best guys even at foiling back home are all hyper competitive people. Like they they're not good because they just love it. Like, as much as I love it, I'm still hyper competitive. And I mean, you can't not get to that level without being competitive. And whether it's with your friends or whatever it is, I mean, I think it it escalates. You know, at first, I was competitive with my friends around who I fought with. It was like, who can pump the first? Like, I got to one minute. I got to two minutes. I got to five minutes. And it kept going. And then all of a sudden, that kind of elite or the, the few that you're competing with, all of a sudden, you kind of not competing with anyone because no one's sort of, say, keeping up. So then you're like, with foiling, you know, then you sort of, all right, well, Zane Westwood was one who used to come down and visit a lot. And he was like, I'm pumping for 12 minutes, 13 minutes. And at that time, I was at like two. And I was like, fuck this guy. I'm going to get 20 minutes. And so I was like, all like you're... The level just keeps going up, and but the only reason you keep going up is because you're just competitive with each other, and it's the same with all of them. Like I've seen these guys, some of the best guys in the world, that you like nicest guys ever. I've seen them walk out of the water because they're having a shit session because someone's doing better than them. They're just like, fucking hate this and like they're hyper competitive people. I've seen guys pull out of downwind runs because like they weren't keeping up, and like fucking gear was doing this. And I'm like pulled out (laughs) and i was just like and it it like logistically makes it a nightmare because you got to get them halfway somewhere else and you're like it was a nightmare than just finishing it and it's like these guys are they're high you know kyle lenny like nicest guy ever but fucking competitive and that's like we're all kind of in that and i like the first moment i got of it was when we did there was a a charity downwind run the paddle imua over here in Mao, which it just runs the standard Maliko run. And Andrew Gibbons was we kinda got up together off the start. I think Kyle and he was just a couple bumps ahead of me, same James Casey couple again. And we both kinda came in on the same bump. And he was he was a touch ahead, but he cut across it like, I don't give a fuck that you're here. And I was he just ripped and like Fair game. He kind of had the, the line in it. He was a little ahead anyway, but like it was no ignore. And I was like, these are dudes that, you know, we were all joking around just before. And I was like, as soon as that happened, I was like, it's fucking on. And I saw him go right. So I was like, fuck it. I'm going left. It's on. And he probably took a better line in the whole thing. But I wasted 10 minutes going fucking flat out, like absolutely cooked myself, trying to get it bumped, ahead of bumps because I was like, he cut me off. And I was just, like, (laughs) dude, we are so competitive. And as much as we're all laughing and joking, like, as soon as that start gun goes off, like, there's moments where we're, like, we're still frothing, but, like, fucking, it's on. And, like...
0: But as soon as it finishes as well, it goes straight back to the fun, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, yeah. The moment you cross the finish line, like, we all just wait for each other. Everyone's just hanging out, like, chatting stories about the race. And, like, you don't... No one holds grudges. It's all just... Leave it out there, and it's all good fun. Have a beer afterwards, but they're all competitive fuckers.
0: I guess same as the uh, competitive element; it's it's very much an adventure element, and because of yeah, that, it's community as well. It's the we survive that mentality as well. Maybe
2: yeah, Downwinding's an interesting one because I mean, which I probably this is I mean this is gonna be controversial to say. I was like Maliko run like all these. Everyone's like the Maliko run. Could river yeah, the best runs in the world, and they're amazing runs, three or four times, and then it's it's the fucking same thing over and over. Like it's so good, it's like when if you went to surf, you had cloud break. If cloud break was your surf break in your backyard, all you did was surf left barrels, perfect left barrels, and then all of a sudden. I don't know, like eventually you kind of get bored of surfing perfect ways. Like eventually you yeah. lose that interest. And I, I kind of struggled. Like we've been here for a month.
0: We got, we, we got ex-meth, Oscar. We, we know what that's like.
2: Yeah, yeah. It's perfect like... left barrels just grinding down.
0: It's the brown water. I get, I get so addicted to that brown water. Um, <laughs> <I> just. <laughs> Why I just would know you know ever to want to see the bottom? Cool. No, Exactly. i want to feel sick when i get out of the water
2: yeah have an ear infection it's great and wetsuits (laughs) i love wetsuits
1: i I
0: just want to put a
2: wetsuit on again
0: the thicker the better
1: you say that i it takes me a while to get used to foiling without a wetsuit
2: you know i feel less safe foiling without a wetsuit
0: that's the same as anything I I'm doing hit free, it. Freestyle kiting. Yeah, that's what I'm freestyle saying. Freestyle kiting and a I'm pair saying. of board shorts. You're gonna get ball slapped like crazy. It's just gonna be crap. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh. So what result what result were you expecting? And what result were you aiming for?
0: Because it wasn't second.
1: No.
2: I was Weirdly, so we had the first, I guess, so we had two races leading up to so We had the M2M. I suppose there was, a, there was a shorter race on day two, which is the Molokai-Holokai. But not, as, not, as, not everyone stayed around for that. There was only a few of us that stayed around for that. And then there was the paddle Imua. And so we kind of, I guess across those three races, you could kind of get a gauge on where everyone was at. And so the first race for me, M2M, I just cooped. I was like five six hundred meters inside and upwind when the gun went off because i assumed we're all paddling out and they're like yep there'll be two boats so I assume we all just line up between two boats once we're all there go and all the guys are going out and they're paddling so hard and i was like why are these guys why would you expend so much energy now like doesn't make much sense to me and like James and Kai were like on my left and Kai jumps on his boat and just gets driven to the furthest person out. And they're like, I couldn't even see him at that point. And I was like, I was like, oh, that's smart. Just save energy. And then James, James paddles up like flat water starts and starts pumping out. And I was like, well, that's an excessive waste of energy. (laughs) And I was just sitting there. I was like, oh, maybe it's a good idea to warm up. And I was like, I just sort of, I sat on my board and I was like feeling like start my watch, make sure my hydration pack's good. And a fucking gun goes off. And I was just... Why did
0: no one one tell you that, then?
2: That's just mean. I just... And they were like, that's sup racing I was like, yeah, but I don't... I've never raced a sup race I was like, this is... I just didn't know. And they just said that. They're like, they will just keep pushing further and further and further out. And once once it hits, you know, they say it starts at 10.30, it starts 10.30 on the dot. Wherever they are, they'll just start it. And I just didn't... I just just oblivious to it so I was just and then I just stress paddled I didn't get up so I had absolute shocker of a race and I think I still like I came seventh um which all things considered I was really happy with and it was the same then the paddle Imua it was I got up five bumps back um off the start I think Jimmy was and like the race finished like it was all just kind of wind swell when there's no ground swell moving under it, like windswell, will just moves slow and it moves the same. So like everyone's kind of making the same moves. There's not a whole lot to do. Whereas when you've got like a ground swell moving underneath, you can get some massive boosts on the ground swell. If you've got fast enough foils and kind of weave a line through all the bumps. But because we didn't have that, it was just like where everyone pretty much got up was kind of where everyone finished. So no one really, like I never got an opportunity to kind of showcase where I was at And I think that was also not a bad thing going into the race. So I probably, realistically, I kind of was hoping for a top five with kind of ideal situation. But I was kind of like top 10 I'd be happy with. Because Army called
0: it. Army very much called it. Because we spoke to him after you'd done uh, the Maui one, M2M. Yeah. And he said he'll be way faster in there. Uh, in the m2o yeah so he called yeah. it he 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 knew there you go
2: I mean I yeah I had oh even the, the finish of that race so I everything went wrong I ended up trying to cut the corner at the end dry docked myself on the reef walked across the reef to get back to the channel paddled it like it was as big of a shocker as you could get so and I you know I You know, I did the whole race. The whole race, I was just by myself. I couldn't see a boat, couldn't see a person. And, you know, you're going, there's there's one island in front of you. You're trying to go to the island to the right. Like, it's a... You're trying to navigate through islands that you have no land markings on. You're just... It's a wild experience out there. And, yeah, I just... I felt like, I guess, I never got an opportunity to showcase, I guess, where I was at speed-wise. And that's where I think it, you know... I kind of learnt a lot from those races. I learnt where I, you know, what I needed to work on, and it kind of, I got everything. I suppose got my gear and everything dialed pretty well in time for M two O's. So, paid off.
0: Yeah, well, it, it was bloody brilliant. I really didn't expect myself to get hyped up about it, but I was just so impressed watching it, and and then it was such a, it it was just, it, I don't know. If you'd have won, it wouldn't have been quite as 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 mental as it was. It was just the fact that because I was watching Shannon's live stream on Axis's um, yeah. Instagram, and obviously, it's, oh, Oscar's down and he's paddling, and then Edo's down and he's paddling, and holy flying fuck, fucking Jimmy's back up and he's paddling and pumping. How the fuck's he? It just, and even I was sat there going, "Fuck!" I didn't see that coming. <laughs> It was a brilliant, it was a brilliant finish. And again, to have seen, to watch the dots and be like, well, Kai Lenny's miles away. I don't know what happened there. And then see him come back fourth. And yeah, it was just yeah. a, Im- impressive. It was really impressive to watch, to say that we aren't that into downwinding as much as we should be, could be, want to be. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, it was quite impressive.
1: Do you think any of the locals were a little bit pissed off to have the foreigners...
0: 100 percent 100 percent
2: i came around i think uh car he's got a video um on his oh no children of the free world um has a video and it was when we came around the headland at china walls edo's i think maybe two bumps back from me and sort of you know there's a few people cheering on the cliff the same when you watch the video from the cliff and then all of a sudden edo comes into frame and all you hear is Fucking get his ass Edo. fucking get him, and I was just like, I could hear it as well. Like I could hear that they weren't far away on the boat, and they're just yelling at him, fucking
0: get him. And it's definitely like, oh, a bit gosh. like a, it's like a hunting thing. I got that impression listening to some of the audio. You, you know, you yeah, you're hunting, you're hunting people down. You're trying to tick them off. You're trying to get them. You are trying to get them. You're trying to get to them. And I, I quite yeah, it was just it was quite a. Intense sort of uh, commentary. I can imagine exactly what it's like. I did wonder as well, listening um, or even uh, looking at some of the... Because Hawaii is obviously a a phenomenally interesting place in general. and It all revolves around respect, doesn't it? And seeing the the women's podium, I did wonder what Annie and Andrea and all the Hawaiians thinking about being beaten by a, a Frenchie. Coming over and, and stealing all their thunder and, and you guys the two Aussies winning I did wonder what what would that what how has that gone down to the Hawaiians afterwards, will that just be fuel to the fire or is is it just cool good work go home
2: I, it's fuel to the fire like as much as we all say yeah yeah great work like they they back each other and you know they they support each other you know when it comes down to it they're supporting their local guys and there is a lot. There's a big community over here, there's a lot of, you know, they're they're patriotic, they, you know, they love the homeland, all that sort of stuff, so to see a Hawaiian to them doing well, it means a lot more than if me or James do well. But then it was the same, it was actually interesting, once I got to the channel and Jimmy went past me, Kahi, same boat, drives up next to me and they're going... Fucking paddle, get him! And so it's just like, the table's turn. I feel like they'll cheer for whoever's in second to just fucking get him. I'm sure once James was pumping, they were probably going, he's just there, get him! Everyone likes an underdog. Everyone likes an underdog. But no, they... they, And I think a lot of it comes... You know, they have perfect runs. They've said it, you know, we've all said it about, you know, the surfing world for so long that there's, there's not more Hawaiians that come onto the... The pro tour than there probably should be, but they just surf perfect waves. it's There's so much energy here. Same as downwinding. The Maliko run, it's such a perfect downwind run. And whereas for us back home, it's not always perfect. There's light wind or there's big sweat, like, there's really varied conditions, but it forces you to make it work when it's not that good. And I think that's where that's we probably where my... did well
0: yeah that's been my curiosity. I remember talking to people years ago about um the more more about the british kite scene we've We have in the past generated some very good kite surfers and some very good surfers that don't excel in the best stuff, but when people turn up and it's just a little bit shit and it's not quite where it should be, that's where we tend to do quite well because we we have to do it because it's shit all the time here. We have to deal with shit conditions. So I'm curious as to how you find riding in those conditions. And likewise, I mean, what would it be like if the Hawaiians went and did the Australian stuff? And what's the difference between downwinding in all these different places? Yeah, yeah. Physical feeling. I mean, what's the physical feeling of riding? You know, we just don't get heavy swell here. We Liam and I occasionally surf badly in... Cornwall, which is heavier than our local breaks here, and we do notice it that it's it's a heavier break and it's gonna fuck you if you get it wrong. Is is it like that with the water there? Do you, do you feel it pushing more? I mean,
2: um, I mean it's here. I, so if you look at the Maliko run, which is kind of the gold standard for downwind runs, I think worldwide everyone's just like the Maliko run, and for us it's it's probably a slower run. Um, when it, in the windy months, which is kind of now during summer, they don't get a whole lot of swell. So you tend to get just the way the coast works. A lot of the swell seems to wrap around just above Maliko and it starts to stack all the lines and they sort of slow down. They all stack together and you've got a really strong wind that goes over the top of it. So it's quite a slow run, but everything's moving quite, quite steep and everything's moving together. Whereas for us back home, like they do get, you know, if, if they get big swells coming in, they do get, you know, some big bumps moving through as well. But in general, it's a little slower, but it's just perfect. Everything's lined up. Everything goes dead straight. It's as good of the conditions as you can get. For us back home, we get in in the winter months, we get the big south swells that move up the coast and strong south winds. But they they can be huge swells, you know, five, six meter swells. And at that size, you know, it starts, the troughs start to pull out all the wind bump. It's it's a much bigger challenge to kind of find an efficient line to move through it all. But you also have to be on really fast foils because if you want to try and keep up with a five meter south swell, three collect, those things move so quick. So I think we learn to deal with much, just, you know, the angles aren't also perfect. You know, you, you might have your wind kind of blowing you 90 degrees to your swell. So you're sort of riding on one then all of a sudden you're cutting back with the other one. And you find, it's a much more kind of creative and on the fly kind of line. You're kind of working out what's going on. You, you're so much more focused. Whereas here, you can just peel off left, right. Doesn't matter. There's a perfect bump either way. You just go off, jump on that one and ride that. So I think we just learn... In so many varied conditions and that's kind of weirdly been something that i've missed while being over here like you i haven't looked at a, a surf forecast or a, a wind forecast for the whole time i've been here because you just know it's going to be windy we're going to be doing that run and that's kind of it and that's where there is a lot of that anticipation in conditions that i've lost that i miss like you know the number of times that all your mates are just going texting whatever you want there's a big swell coming or there's there's some nuking wins like you guys are saying it's going to be 35 tomorrow like you guys are all you'll hype each other up and you're going wednesday's the day we're on what are we doing where are we going you're trying to work out logistics you're trying to see where to go where's going to be best and like all that hype around the session just doesn't exist here because it's just tomorrow we're doing the same thing again although it's really good (laughs) it's just the same thing sounds
0: horrible sounds sounds absolutely
2: horrible
1: i actually really um i think it depends on the personality as well and like i very much agree with what you're saying oscar i think it has its downsides like actually i was complaining to freddie earlier because um the forecast here at the minute there's a lot of wind but it's very frontal um it's not like stable pressure systems at all and a lot of the directions and strengths just aren't tying up to what makes for good sessions in terms of timing with the tides or when we can actually go, whatever. So there are times when it's frustrating. But in general, I completely agree with you. I think there's something special about living in a spot where it is condition-dependent and even more so when you have enough of an experience of the spot to know exactly when it is best. And then you actually go out of your way to make sure you're there if you can and i find like having lived in areas where there's trade winds in the past and stuff you get quite complacent about it and then like you end up going on the water less because it's like there's always that oh i can just go later oh, i can always go later and i think that's where it depends on your personality a little bit
2: yeah yeah Totally. Like, if
1: I if I have a week of solid conditions here and it's kind of back-to-back back and the wind lines up with the tide or whatever, like, I will go out for hours every day, all day, knowing that it's temporary. Whereas, like, you go spend a winter somewhere where there's trades all the time, like, yeah, okay, if there's not been wind for a few days, you might go out for a session. But after that, you get quite... I personally get quite lax quite quickly.
2: Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I totally agree. And I think I've... I just, frothed out for the first two weeks and just went i was in the water like two to three downwind runs a day a wing session in the arvo it was just like you're just doing anything and everything so like, i want to be on the water i want to be doing this and then you know towards the end you're sort of like it's been the same conditions like it's so good and like i just mentally i just like, I feel so like this is the dumb like just get out there and do it again but you're like especially for the malika the malika run and i gotta put some condit. it's To do one Maliko run with a car shuttle and drop is a minimum three hours. Minimum. It's a 30 minutes on foil. So, like, you've got a 6 to 1 ratio of driving cars to the end, driving back to the top, grabbing gear, setting up, doing the downwind run for 30 minutes, get the car, load it all in, drive back to the top, get the other car, drive back to the house. So that's three hours for your 30-minute run, which time-wise... Which like, if
1: you work five days a week full-time, it's not... that doesn't the, work. Yeah, no. Yeah.
2: And that's where, I mean, this is, you know, that just the way the drive works, the traffic, it, it's not ideal. Like for us at home, it's a 15-minute it's a drive for a 45 to an hour on foil. And it's just... It's like the ratios work. It, it makes sense. Whereas this one's a bit of a... It is, I keep calling it the the Maliko vortex. It's just a time vortex where it just sucks time away. And, and it's hard like to motivate yourself to drive three hours for a 30 minute run, you know, by the end, and it's just going to be the same condition. You sort of get a bit like, I want something different. So you need to go, you know, mix it up, go winging. You know, and that's where I think these guys are such all rounders. You know, they all wing, they all prone, they drive to the south side if it's um good prone conditions. Like, they just do everything, and I think that's what keeps you kind of motivated when the conditions are so good all the time, to just, you got to do other things, you got to mix it up, and, like, you look at Kane DeWild, he's one of the best wingers, he's still one of the best prone guys, he's one of the best down, like, they get, they do mix it up and do a lot of other stuff, but when you're just training for downwinding, you have to just downwind, and I think that's kind of been the killer, that probably is, like, I think about it now, like, reflecting on it, like, yeah, it is... It's more the fact that we're just doing downwind runs and we're only going straight. You know, we're not going to do turns and have a cruisy run. Like if you're trying to train for a downwind run that's a race, you're just trying to go straight and fast. And so I think now that the races are over I can actually enjoy a run.
0: Yeah. Has, has it got a <laughs> has it got a shelf life for enjoyment? You know, you're fairly new to it, which I'd like to come on to as well, but Yeah. Are you gonna get are you gonna get bored of it? Are you going to keep doing it? I, I, thought I was. Oh my god! Because if, well if you slowed, if you slowed if you down, Jeremy might catch up then, and then you could ride together.
2: <laughs> Tell him that he was like he was, had one section. He's like, I was fucking going so fast, I had you covered. And he's like, but then you just flew past, and he's like, I don't understand. <laughs> he was just like, he's like, ah. But I, I. I I was thinking about this the other day. And I think the first I'm much more of an adventure when like doing these runs, I'm much more about the adventure, like doing the same thing over. I need to do different things. And I think that's what brings a lot of us to foiling is that if we came from surfing, it was sort of you're looking for something when just something new, something to challenge you, something to learn. And for me, that was everything, like always learning. So like I with surfing started making my own boards because I wanted to learn about that side. And like, it kind of kept going and foiling's just been the best rabbit hole with that where, you know, you start getting a little, not bored, but just you're not challenged or you're not learning as much, say, with prone. And then all of a sudden winging came along and it was like, all of a sudden I'm learning to wing. I've, I've got to learn wind. I've got to learn all these. So much to learn there. And then it's downwinding comes along. And I think as long as you keep a good variety of them all, you'll never get sick of them. Like if I go two to three weeks without getting a downwind run in I just get itchy and I want to I want to get a downwind run in but I think the down the thing that downwinding brings is the adventure and I mean Mm. me James and uh Zane Westwood i sorry me Jeremy and Zane Westwood did a about an 80 kilometer downwind run that we kind of all looked at for so long and been like how do we get down there what are the conditions like how do we get out into the wind line we had no idea what was going on and like, we tried to plan it as best we could. And we got safety, we got radio, like trying to work the logistics out, like, and then actually doing it. Like that's, that experience. Like, you know, the, the downwind run was amazing and the conditions were amazing, but also the build buildup, the, the adventure with your friends, all that sort of stuff. Like me and Zane came down at one point to wait for Jeremy and had lunch. And we were like 14 kilometers offshore and just sitting in the middle of the ocean boards, sharing a, a, like an energy bar. And like, things like that, Like on the whole run, we were just it's, talking about like how wild that was. And like, the things you bring away from those adventures is, is kind of like It's the
0: journey, not the destination. It is. It is. My there English teacher
1: will love that that got brought up. Jesus Christ. <laughs> we get a lot of messages from people when we talk about downwinding. Obviously, it would be a lot more accessible for most people in foiling to go wing downwinding. Yeah, yeah. And so my question is, did you, did you do any of that prior to downwinding and getting competent at that? And have you done any since getting good at downwinding? And now that you are good at downwinding, would you ever still take the wing? So... And this is, yeah, me and Jeremy were just talking
2: about this last week. Um, the main thing with the wings, so I did, I think, one downwind. I don't think I've ever actually, know, I've never done a, just a straight downwind run with a wing. Um, I've done, like, stretches. And the main thing is, you know, the, the wind's going behind you, so the wing gets blown straight out in front. So you can't see what's dead straight ahead. So you have to go. You, kind of, you can lift it up, but then you kind of overtake it, and it gets awkward you generally are going left or you're going right. You kind of can't go straight with the bumps and you don't get a you know if you're going left, you can't necessarily the wings covering a lot of what you're seeing to the right. So it's it's quite a cumbersome it's a great way to learn to downwind, but as soon as you can get rid of it, it's effectively your peripherals just open up, you know, twice and you have so many more lines and so much more energy to kind of spot and pick from. So as soon as you get rid of the wing, you do pretty much go I'm never going to use the wing downwind again. But the other thing is that what we've done in the past is you go way upwind and you pick a stretch of coast that has a heap of breaks along it. And there's a good swell, there's good wind. So we'll wing out. You know, you go downwind for maybe a kilometre and then you cut in to one of the waves. And you go wing that wave and ride that wave for 20 minutes then you cut back out, go downwind again, and then you cut back in, go ride another wave. There's a bommie out the back. Go ride that for a little bit, see what that's like. Go back out, downwind for a bit, and so like that you just can't do with downwinding. And I think it's a, it's more time efficient. You ride ten different waves, and it takes you three hours to get down a ten-kilometer stretch, whereas downwinding you
1: would that would have been over in
2: fifteen minutes.
1: So it's so funny again. Like this sounds like such a fun idea, Freddie. And yet, the logistics of trying to do that here is just hilarious. You're like, right? I'm going to leave Exmouth. If it's a strong westerly, or oh, what? Next beach along, Budley. Oh, oh, I'm in behind the cliff. Oh, there's no wind. Oh, oh, oh well, that's the end of that then.
0: Um, I okay. So again, Oscar, you're, you're far too famous and busy to listen to the last episode we did, but we did. We also dismissed wing downwinding last week as well, and we said that was a pile of shit. And then oh, I did. We
1: Rich was all for it.
0: I dismissed it. I thought it was a pile of shit. Anyway, <laughs> then I then I did one. Literally yeah. this weekend with Chris down in uh, Cornwall. We can't talk about Cornwall too much because the Cornish get really precious about their little fucking waves. <laughs> um, but we, we did one, and it was mainly just to access a beach that you literally did not want to be trying to go out through with a wing. But Chris had said that he'd done like three times, the, four times the distance probably, and had gone back home and had shot through a gap between rocks that I'd looked at many a time and thought, bloody hell, there's a lot of water movement there. And I was just thinking, again, adventure, this would be one hell of a story to say, I've gone from here to here via, well, with a wing and just foiled the whole way down. Yeah, I thought we would have been... Because you just would have... Like It's one thing uh, riding the waves that we ride all the time and Liam knows where I was riding. And yeah, okay, it's a, it's a beach, there's waves. But then passing around the back of that and just going around the back of the cliffs, okay, provided you've got the wind and it's not just nothing, be one hell of a coastline to play up and down and you can't do that kiting. No fucking yeah. way. Yeah. And it but I, be I it had, had fun. a
1: small experience of that in a, in a spot where we always get hailed on where I then went to ride um we need cold words. Your
2: condition is, sounds is so cold. I can't
1: wait to visit
2: you can go wing and hail
0: <laughs> mate just wait it's got to be, you make sure you come over in February February the best <laughs> <Peter>. month
1: <laughs> Don't worry we are also well versed in what pubs to take you to that's where yeah, the specialisms good. lie yeah, yeah. um but, yeah, no, that spot, I went riding, going along the coast a little bit and basically trying to ride down to, well, no, it would have been riding upwind, to what is actually a proper, like, surf spot. Um and it was quite a big swell. We were actually riding in an estuary mouth where the swell gets dampened slightly. But I was like, the tide was getting a bit high. I was getting a bit bored. So I rode upwind, tried to go down to this surf spot and classic same situation. I couldn't actually get all as far, all the way as far as I wanted to because the wind was blocked by this cliff. And that's quite often the issue I think that we've got is it's just the coastal cliff. Um, but what I did find is when I was messing around on the exposed side, like the scenery was so fucking cool because you are just riding with these massive cliffs in front of you. But at the same time, I was finding that it was quite a big swell and the swell was hitting the cliff and bouncing back off again. And it was actually making it quite unrideable.
0: I do wonder whether these guys ride much further out than we have done so far, though, Liam.
1: Maybe. Because. So we get again, that. You, I mean, there's
0: you, a lot of
2: stretches well. coast. Yeah, there's a lot of. And you know, like, especially when you're doing long downwind runs, you'll you go through a headland that has steep cliffs and you get a heap of reverb. And so, you know, bounces in at one, they all come out. And Like we did on our, that longer run, the 80 kilometer one, we probably had the first 20 kilometers was just, it's sheer cliff. And it was just, you know, we tried to get, I think five K's off and we were still, we were still getting energy reverbing off. And it's the same with the M2O race. Once you get in close, you start getting energy coming back at you. And the whole way along before you get to China Walls is just reverb. And it's you have to be a little bit quicker. You've got you got to ride the reverb as well. you got to kind of find a different line through it all. It just adds effectively another swell into the mix that comes through. And I think that's where the wing's tricky because you don't have the visibility of it all. Like if you've got reverb coming that way, but the wind's going, you know, you need every peripheral to kind of work out where the energy is coming from and try to use it. And that's where I think the wing becomes really tricky in those sorts of conditions. Mm. But when you're on the sup, you can, you can ride reverb. Like I had moments, you know, where I'd almost ride back into the wind to get up to another wave because there just, there was a weird reverb coming. And I was like, I could see a set kind of couple out and I'd just jump on it, start moving out with it and then get to that set out further. So it does, and that's where the downwinding is. I think the initial addiction is there. Like, it is such a flow state. You're so present and so focused on all the energy that's it, coming wrong, at you Wrong, wrong,
0: hang on. Wrong podcast, Oscar. I'll, <laughs> chill out. Oh, yeah, yeah. Flow bullshit. state.
1: What's that? Freddie's yeah, um, what notoriously you about? good. <laughs> Freddie's notoriously good at getting into the flow state, but his version of the flow state is screaming and swearing and having a bad time. <laughs> It's the anti-flow state is where Freddy excels. Yeah. That was easy for yeah. me, don't worry. Whoa. Oh, I, think, um, fuck. I feel I like, like really I did. changing tack slightly. People, you know, uh, I did. I was messing around with the video and having some technical issues, so we didn't talk about it whilst I was trying to fix that. Um, Gear-wise, between the main contenders last weekend, I, yep. I wonder whether you know what sort of stuff everyone else is on, what you're on. And then following on from that, I'm really curious to talk about the implication of the weight difference between you and James. Yeah, yeah. Because there must be a pretty significant percentage difference there. He's not a small lad, is he? No. And that was probably,
2: that's one of the, weight was a big thing we were chatting about with the first few races because all the top guys were heavier. They were around 80 to 85 kilos. Um. And that was, it was one of those kind of things where I was like, shit, am I going to have to try and bulk? Or do-? I was like, i got to do something to put some weight <laughs> on to just get, like, I was like, I'm going kind to of gym junkie and just like, ah, you know, biceps that are twice the size of my head by the end of this. And But it was, like, it was a genuine consideration. We're like, you know, I was like, I started eating. The two weeks leading up to M2O, I was eating like a madman. I ate so much. And it was kind of, we were doing so much. Training that it just it wasn't doing it. Like I doubt I put on half a kilo. It made absolutely no difference. But the thing is that I can run a smaller foil than the heavier guys, and so I think that's where, as much as it was, say in those first days, or maybe it was a bit more of just luck or chance or whatever it was. You know, you look, James battled it out with Kai Lenny the whole way on M 2 M, and Kai's probably closer to my weight. I don't know his weight, but I think he's low seventies. Was James is sort of low to mid eighties and they were together. So I think, you know, the heavier guys on a big wave can go quicker, but then the lighter guys should be able to pump a smaller foil a bit easier. Um, So I think it more or less balances out. I, I know one, everyone actually says Dave Kalama is like, you know, one of the fastest guys downwind, you know, he's, he's quite a bit heavier and all that sort of stuff, but you know, it was the same when I was on M2M I had a I had a moment where Army I'd caught up to Army, Army Armstrong, and Dave Kalama was on my right and I I got to a point where I was it was one bump and all three of us were on it and I just had one of those weird moments where I just be sat so sick. Oh, it was and like you know, they're like the godfathers of downwind foiling. Like both those guys, you know, I think Army was one of the first guys to do a race on a SUP foil. Dave Kalama's been pioneering the board design and development. And I just had one of those moments where I kind of just took it in and I was like, fuck, like, this is, this is amazing. But then I was like, I could just take off. And so I think as much as, you know, everyone sort of said, Dave's the, he's heavier and he's, he's so quick because he's heavy, you know, I was able to easily pass him. So I think there's, you can tune your gear to account for differences in weight, um, of the rider. Um, but then, in terms of gear for what everyone was riding, I mean, everyone was on super high aspects, like way higher aspects than what I guess is currently on production. I think the only one that's probably up there is like the Lift One Hundred and Ten. Um, that's kind of the realm where.
0: So, so nobody was on production because <sighs> that's I'm a, say that's pretty much not. That's really cool to hear. That's yeah. impressive
1: too. Even, even the Code for guys?
0: Nah,
2: they're on R-series gear. So it's not in production. They, I think oh, they've got an what, S-series What's the there. one that they've released? The S8 something. So that's just, I, think, okay. I think S stands for surf, I'm not sure. But they've got an R-series that they were working on, which is their race series. Um, but yeah, yeah everyone, everyone was on far higher yeah. specs than what...
1: I, I'm sure that he talked about that when... Um, when we interviewed, when I talked to him about the code foils thing, and he was just like, I'm, I, I might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure he was like, they can be whatever you want them to be. <laughs> they were like, <laughs> we haven't defined it as S for surf or R for surf. <laughs> he was what like, it can be want? what you want.
0: <laughs> that's a, that's, a, that's sales bullshit.
1: My favorite <laughs> quote from the interview was, um, the, the, our suggested tagline for code foils was, we like them. We hope you do too. <laughs>
2: See, I remember that uh, interview, because I went into that, I came over here, and I remember Jimmy being like, oh, I've got some new, like, high aspect foils coming, I don't think I'll be very competitive, I'm just going over to have fun, blah, 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 and he shows up, like, the first, like, you know, the Malika run, you start at the same point, you're finished, you end up, like, crossing over a heap, and he shows up with the highest aspect race foil I have ever seen, and I was just like... Fuck off! You knew this was coming. I was like, "Don't tell me." I'd be happy with a top ten. I'd be a. i would be I was like, "Fuck you! You fucking know exactly what's going on." I was like, "You're not here to just have fun. You're here to win."
0: Oh, interesting. Oh, I am intrigued. I am intrigued. I mean, so I'm in, interested to hear. Yeah, Army was talking about downwind sort of foils, and, and interested to hear what you guys were running.
2: Oh, they—they oh, they won't. Is it, is it? They didn't tell me that. So they won't tell me the sizes, which I think is probably a smart idea because they know I'll talk about it. <laughs> Just like I know, like the aspect ratio is significantly higher than what our current HAs are. And same thing, they won't tell me. um I was testing some kind of regular HAs early on, um and so we were to get, you know, flat water starts were pretty comfortable on things in the sort of 600 square centimeter range. Um, that's but, absurd. Yeah, which I think the, the section development, and that's probably the hardest thing, you know, I think everyone talks, everyone wants to put a number on a foil to be like, this is the best measurement. And I mean, you know, Axis love span. I think span and Mean chord, I think, is their other one that they love. I know Adrian loves to say that he's like, area. He's like, I look at color before area. <laughs> he's, uh, he loves buzzwords, that.
0: One. Buzzwords for him.
2: Yeah. But I think, you know, those trying to put those numbers on it almost mean nothing nowadays. Like, you know, I've ridden identical foils with, you know, in terms of numbers, but just a different section in them. And it's like night and day. Like, I could be riding at something that's 40% larger in area it feels like it's got a stall speed like that so it's really hard to communicate those the sections that are in these foils and while it sounds like oh my god you're paddling up a 600 but you know the amount of work that they do on developing you know armstrong have got um the america cup developed or one of the america cup guys well
0: well, there it goes there it is there it is (laughs) he said it
2: it was gonna come out (laughs) <laughs> I feel like it's just so ingrained from all the branding and all the like
0: the American that's Cup that's because you've just had him you've, you've had him screaming at you for the yeah. last two weeks make sure you say it make sure you say it. Cup you say it and what
1: drink do they serve in it oh <laughs> I want some
2: of their Kool-Aid they won't tell us ever they're still secretive little <laughs> bastards but
0: <gasps>
2: nah they, they have been I mean we've been using Chris as well he's a guy that I met um, back home Who's uh? I think he's an aeronautical engineer, um, and he did he did his, um, his thesis on sort of foil sections, all this sort of stuff, and he's someone we brought on with Armstrong that worked on with the um, the development of that pump foil, and he's got it. Yeah, I've got a you know the the America Cup guys will build you or can make you the most efficient, fastest foil but you still need to make it work in a surf environment. It's a it's a totally different environment to what they're used to. And, you know, you need to balance all those ideas and come up with, you know, something that works in our realm. Um, and that's where these last race foils, you know, the sections that they kind of came out with, it's just game-changing for what we're doing in terms of racing. You know, it's... You can flat Is this going to be
0: something... Um... Yeah, is this going to be production? Do we think because every you know it's the same with I imagine the Axis stuff and um, the, the code stuff especially as well.
1: Presumably yeah, they're going to make
0: these. This is just this is just product. This is just uh, prototyping for a future product range. Yeah. Or are they? You know, because they could be complete prototypes, but I would doubt that.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they are. Yeah, um, they're all they're things that are being worked on. I mean, we we're still. So to get the, uh, the race foil that I rode... So the first two races, I was on a different foil. Um, and it was a, a section... Is that why that Chris, you were shit? Sorry? It was Is that shit. why you were
0: shit?
2: <laughs> when I was, that's the only reason okay. I did well. I was just, it, was, it must have been the foil. It had nothing to do with all my fuck-ups. It was just the foil, of course. It was Army's problem. Army didn't make me a good foil. <laughs> no, it was, um, it, was, you know, it was... It was the best foil I'd ridden to date in terms of racing but there were still things that needed to be changed and we were kind of looking at, but we effectively couldn't get it done in time for the M2O, you know, to look at how much time it takes, you know, to recut a mould or cut new moulds, to get it laid up, all that sort of stuff. And then the shipping time on top, say you leave five, six days to get it shipped, shipped over. It was like, we just weren't going to make it over. So they ended up flying a, um, one of the workers, in china over with the foils to deliver them to us before the race so we got them maybe two or three days before m20 and got these new foils and it was just like a mad like we got to try and test them dial them in and just like we kind of had one shot at it and they were radically different from anything else i'd seen or ridden and so it was a bit of an unknown and it was nervous to kind of to kind of be quite reliant on that for what you're going to ride in the race. So it obviously worked out for the better, but it was, it was a wild, wild few days leading up to it. But yeah, th- so those foils will be something that, um, you know, they still need to be refined as, as good as the section that's in this latest one, there's still a lot of work on getting them perfect, I suppose, or getting them better. So there'll be quite a few iterations and I'm sure they will be, being be available in the near future hopefully but um
0: but they've just they've just come second in the m2o so they can't be too bad no yeah yeah, what what, what
1: refinements are you talking about what what feedback are you giving that that results in you saying they need refinement yeah so things like feels real good feels real good
2: (laughs) you can get a good feel for i guess the section pretty early on um you need to tune the angle of attack of the front wing. Um, That's one thing that I found with this foil. It just, it rode a little bit nose down, and so I think the angle of attack needs to be reduced a little. Um, Then there's things like, yeah, just the you
1: Were you compensating for that by shimming your mast plate on your board and going, oh, that feels better, and therefore so you run
2: into sup down windings or sup paddle ups are an interesting one because so effectively you've got your board say it's dead flat and your foils usually they're built in most brands are somewhere between one and two degrees angle of attack of the front wing so when you're paddling at those low speeds trying to get the board to release off the water quite often especially when you're on small high aspects, you're relying on that angle of attack to kind of get that initial lift. And then once you get that initial lift, you see the guys, they kind of, they're doing that whole paddle pump technique. They're, the board's slapping down. And they're trying to pull it back out of the water and kind of eventually start accelerating and then eventually get up on foil. So at that early stage, I feel like you're using the angle of attack to get the board to release. And then as you work it up to speed, then the foil section starts engaging and you can pump away. But once you start changing your base plate angles you know once you're on the surface of the water just standing on the board not on foil, if you change your base plate angle you'll change that angle of attack of the front wing. So if I put in a shim say in the front two bolts so I'd effectively while I'm riding that would lift the nose of the board up while I'm paddling and the boards flat on the surface that'll mean that the foil the angle of attack is down and so quite I've had the experience where I'd I could paddle something up in the flat water. I put one degree in it, which would reduce the angle of attack. And all of a sudden it felt like it would just suck to the water. That angle of attack was pulling the board down. So you kind of need to, and that's, that's a tricky thing with, I guess the board design and then the foil design, the angle of attack is to get that so that you can still paddle it up comfortably. But then once it's planing and you know, the foils engaged, the board's still at an angle that, um, isn 't just nose down because the other thing is that you're when you 're going at those speeds and you touch down you you want the touch down like where the surface area of the board touches down to be kind of between your feet whereas if you 're running a bit too nose down your nose will be the first thing to touch down and it just mm-hmm. throws you forward and so you need there 's all that there's there are so many elements to dial in all those angles and get a foil right but I think you know for. For the sort of, I guess, the better riders, you, you can you can compensate. There's a lot you can do while you're riding to make it work. But in terms of getting it production ready, there's there's a heap of refinement that goes on
1: there. Obviously, when this comes to market, Oscar, it will be marketed as fantastic for other purposes. Surely, for the purpose of selling it, yeah, they'll tell us that it's also good for <laughs> light wind winging and also good for small wave surfing and all of these other things. (laughs) Can you confirm whether, in fact, it will be good for any of these things or is it actually a downwinding only machine?
2: Ooh, I have winged it, actually. And although it's... I mean, I guess it depends. It's so hard with foiling to understand what everyone... Like, the perspectives of people. And I think, you know, say you look at the pump and glide foils from axis and i don't know what their initial purpose was i think it was surf or just like like being able to pump out and link waves but it was like the dock starting community all of a sudden evolved out of it you know it's people find uses that you just never thought were kind of going to evolve and that's where while i would say these are yeah you can you can light wind wing them and especially if you're in quite flat water or whatever like i wouldn't want to ride a wave with them you know, that amount of span, like they turn, like they, they turn surprisingly well for their size or their span. I guess they're, you know, they're such small in area. Um, so they still turn, but like I would way rather be on a mid aspect or a high aspect. There's no way if I had the choice that I'd be on that in the surf. Um, but I think guys will come up with weird, you know, there's a foil only, I actually don't know his name, ties a rope to a bridge and foils in a river.
1: Yeah, you know we've, we've, we've we're waiting to have a. We've got a spot. We've got a bungee, and we've got a spot in mind to have a go Ooh. at this with Rich down there. Yeah, it is down funny to rest. think
0: because because those disciplines they don't exist yet.
1: Yeah, yeah, they,
0: they just you know you you can't you you can't guess what they're going to be because they're just going to pop up out of nowhere. Yeah, the exactly. first time someone took a a, a a plasterer's ladder, decorator's ladder down to the beach they were looked at very bloody weirdly. Whereas now, they're still looked at weirdly. Well, you say that,
1: Freddie. 99.99999% of the population still look at every single foiler that's ever taken a ladder to the beach in exactly the same way, and will continue to do so. And when they see you and I trying to do it, they go, are those people mentally unwell?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. So, So
1: have you seen, Oscar, have you seen the clip of... um, is it? I, I almost feel like is it the is it fanatic that made the three man wind? Oh fishing? yeah! Oh yeah. Yeah. no! Fucking Did you
0: hell. Say, they, so? W-
1: I want to see you and I want to see you and Jimmy downwinding <laughs> together tandem, and I want to also see the conversation about who decides who goes at the front and who goes <laughs> at the back.
2: Can we do it on our own rigs as well? But then, like, say so we'll have an Armstrong at the front. Uh, code at the back <laughs> and then switch each other put Jimmy at the Armstrong on the front and I'll be on the back of the code and then we can just everybody just banter like you fucking foil shit what's it doing
0: <laughs> oh,
2: I love this already didn't they did they do a sup on that
0: did I they see told video that they towed it recently no
1: they towed the it one, yeah they yeah. towed it behind oh. a ski or a boat or something because I saw the windsurf so I want thing. To see you two tandem downwinding all right I like that idea. <laughs> Me and Freddie have already put the request in for the tandem foiling bicycle version.
0: Oh, God.
1: Oh, Is that the... Um, yeah, anyway.
2: I think I've seen
1: them. Mm. Like
2: they're, they're like, yeah, they Army's cycle. the a foil it. bike.
1: <laughs> yeah, Army, Army was really for it. <laughs> he was like, any exercise on the water is better than anything. And I'm like, damn it, you positive motherfucker.
0: <gasps> you can put... Army's up for a collab, I heard. Ooh. Oh,
2: who, mate! You put any idea—you put some of the weirdest ideas in his head. Like nine times, maybe not even nine times out of ten. Yeah, maybe nine times ten. You just see him go. He just starts thinking. He just like goes pauses for his, like. Oh yeah, and you can just see he's like, no, 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 army. You got enough on your plate, mate. Don't start thinking about fucking tandem bike foils. You'll make it. That's the problem.
1: I liked yeah. it when Freddie asked him whether or not he'd listen to any of our podcasts. <laughs> I was like, as
0: if. I, I hope actually, he sits down for that long.
2: Someone actually asked me that this morning. They're like, "Did you listen to Army's podcast?" He did it like last week, and I was like, "Mate, the guy lives across the fucking hall from me. I, I listened to him enough. I don't need to listen to him anymore." <laughs> I Actually,
0: I brought my. Where my, did the um? Where did the connection and? Where, where, where did the connection come from with Army then? I want to. I want to bring it back on yeah, topic long, a little bit. how long
1: has that partnership been going? So that's been
0: because what I realise now, Oscar, is we've is we've we've spent the last hour not discussing you at all. Which, although reluctant, you kind of you kind of have to answer a few yeah, questions yeah. for the for the public.
1: Oh, I just thought we'd done that on purpose to make sure we could get him back on in the future.
0: Nah, <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, yeah okay. exactly. Well, should we should we just end it there, then? Yeah, we're over.
2: just <laughs> <Yeah, cheers. laughs>
1: Part two starts in.
2: <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so I I started. I I did a weird review of a of the eleven, the HA eleven twenty five when it came out, and I was kind of just. Yeah, I did. A, I had a friend at the
1: time that was going through chemo. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. I, I, I hate to interrupt you. Here. I love it how it was a weird review. Now, I reckon most people would argue that in the early days of your reviews, all of your reviews were a little bit different <laughs> to everyone else because you're fucking pumping around in the ocean.
0: That's again. That was something that going back to what we were talking about earlier. Um, nobody saw that coming. Yeah, like you. You are not. Not. You know, you are more well known now, obviously because you're a shredder of sorts, but as the guy who did the interview, or sorry, did the um, reviews pumping. Yeah. Nobody saw that before it happened. That was a completely new thing. And I know numerous people have said, have you fucking, have you watched this guy pump? I can't do that. All I, I almost shit myself when I try pumping that hard. I can't talk on a GoPro at the same time. That's Obviously, yeah, where you, you get
1: gain- and then he starts doing it on bloody sub eight hundred foils as well, <laughs> and everyone's just like, "Oh fuck this guy!"
0: Yeah, we all got sick. We all got sick of you there. That's why you brought up the downwinding, or you took up yeah, the downwinding yeah. because we you you weren't getting the views anymore. Keep it, it
2: relevant. No one wants to hear that. Sorry, oh. sorry to
1: interrupt.
0: Yeah,
2: no. Nah, so I, that, that was when I kind of yeah I had the idea of doing that and and kind of rolled with it, and it got enough attention that. You know, various brands were like, oh, will you you review our gear? And kind of started relationships, I suppose, with various brands. Um, Axis, Armstrong, um, there was a few others as well that I never got. And the same wings, I did some with PPC. And so it was just a, you know, for me, it was just a, honestly, it was a great way to get free gear. (laughs) shit's expensive. Like, if someone's willing to send me, ah, review our gear. And I was like, if I can keep it, Sure. And, I, and I, I was also just like, I'm going to do it honestly. And I still say that to Armstrong now. Like, you know, I did a review of the that new pump foil. And I put on the, I think it was the 202 tail. And I had a, a go kind of in just kind of bay-like conditions with small wind bumps. And I was like, it worked in the wind bumps. But I was like, there is no way I'll be able to ride this in the like, swell. It's just too slow. And I, I, you know, when I did the review, I was like, I just say that I was like, I, it's too slow. I can't ride that in these conditions. And I think you have to like to stay, you know, there's so many guys that that are team riders, you know, whatever endorsed by brands, and they kind of come along, I did a review, and this is the best wing ever. And you are kind of like, well, there's got to be negatives, and there always are. And I think if you don't point those negatives out, like people, you lose your your credibility in what you're saying about gear. And yeah, you know, the the actually the, the only one I I had was the, that I got a bit of grief for, was the the Armstrong mask. They brought out that new performance mask. And Adrian at Axis was like, you didn't say anything negative about it. And I was like, I, I actually didn't have a whole lot negative to say about it. I was like, it was stiffer, it was faster. I was like, I, I... And I think I got a little, like, you know, people kind of, it was at a similar time than when I kind of officially kind of came on with Armstrong and people kind of were like, oh, well, you just saying it's all good kind of whatever but it was genuine i, I swear but um you know and it, it also reflects you know i think on the brand's perspective armstrong have been really good they're just like they've never said you've got to say this about it they never said pedal this about the wing you know i think i
1: it, it, it comes it comes from the top doesn't it like that was what was really clear chatting with army was that he was clearly proud of his gear he clearly knew his gear and knew what he wanted it to do. Yeah. And he was one of the few people that was quite willing to talk very openly about other brands and other brand products that he likes the look of or wanted to have a go on or thinks it's good. And I think that that shows a lot of confidence in your own product. Yeah. That you're willing to share that spotlight a little bit because you're not worried for your own success because you're like, you know. Yeah, exactly. So I think, yeah, I'm not, it's, it's cool, it's cool to hear. That- it's, an
0: it's an authenticity, isn't it? Yeah. That's, that's what people appreciate and that's what he wants as the brand and that's why Liam and I won't accept any less than five figures from <laughs> any potential sponsors. Just And by anyone- five
1: figures, he just means five items of clothing. So like maybe like three t-shirts, a sweater and a hat yeah, or... Yeah. You know, yeah. some variation. It's up. cheap. It's easy. And
0: socks, I like some brand, branded socks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but
2: that was. I mean, that is one of the. You know, I, I gelled with the Armstrong, I my first setup that I that I bought and paid for was an Armstrong setup. And you know, I, I your first setups, it, it's expensive. You know, it's a big investment to buy a new setup. Um, and you know, I tested all these other brands. I knew guys that were riding for other brands. So I tested some of their stuff that was about to come out and. You know, it was a big decision for me and, you know, I, I did choose Armstrong, but the main one for me was, you know, I think after I'd done the reviews and I'd, I would, you know, they'd obviously send me gear before it would be released, they'd ask for feedback on them and I started giving them feedback and they were kind of different brands were like, oh, like, this is actually good feedback, like, all right, maybe we should get you more involved and it kind of naturally grew like that and I got involved with um, different brands on the development front. Um, and eventually, I kind of just got to the point where it was, I had to make a decision, really. It kind of like, you know, you spread yourself too thin with different brands. And, you know, if you do a review of one, it, it just, you feel like you just the balancing act in a playground with all the kids wanting your lunchbox. And you're like, if you give too much to him, he's going to be pissed off at the other kid. And it's just like this. I just got sick of trying to balance it all. And I kind of knew that I was going to make a decision, but it was the first time that I met the guys at Armstrong. They brought me to the AWSI event um, last year in Hood River. And at the time I, I hadn't made it, you know, I wasn't riding for anyone in particular. They were just like, yeah, we'd love you to come out, just test gear with us, just hang out and meet everyone. And it was the first time I met them. We were kind of just talking about gear and whatnot. And they just straight up, like just said, you don't talk shit about any other brand. They're like... Everyone is making good gear. We're all coming at it with different perspectives. We're trying to develop gear. Everyone's trying their hardest. Don't say anything bad about anyone else. And I kind of really respected that. Like, whereas there's other brands that kind of, they'd, they'd send me messages and be like, why the fuck are you riding that shit? And I was like, oh, like, you, you once you get to know like someone who's developed a wing and seeing what they've put into it and the work they've put into it, it's like, you get a bit pissed off. You're like, man, this dude's trying really hard. Like, don't just write him off like that. And that's where Armstrong was just so like, everyone has something to learn from. Everyone's pushing different things and we can all learn from each other. Don't talk shit about anyone.
1: And I, I yeah. It's funny how, um, oh yeah, it's funny on that note how even like loyal customers do that as well as the brands themselves. Yeah. Um, and it's like how much people get hung up on uh, like warranties and recalls and stuff like that. You're like, okay, if a brand is continuously making recalls, there's there's probably some quality control issue there. But when you understand the complexity of the logistics of, you know, going from design through to manufacture through to distribution, sometimes things slip through the net. And is it not better for brands to go, oh, we fucked up. That doesn't meet the quality that we want to put out. Yeah. Actually, we'd rather call, or because you know, there might only be an issue with one in every 150, but they've gone, Nope, we can't identify which one's in that batch. So rather than disappoint that one customer, we're going to bring it all. You know, yeah, it's funny how customers will then start going, ha, ha, Did you see that this brand had to recall that product? <laughs> and you're like, mm, Yeah, okay. yeah, it's like good on them, they're not giving you a
2: faulty product that you're going to have to go through a warranty claim. It's <laughs> yeah, cost exactly. them their yeah. like, they could have just let you have it, so yeah good on them yeah that's great work and i mean that's where like i don't ha- i never had any i guess business sense around this stuff prior and it's been super interesting to learn that side of it all i mean that's as simple as everyone says just bring out a new wing that does this it's like the logistics around all of that is just nuts and it's you know there's so much it's
0: quite an eye-opening experience yeah isn't
2: it? exactly and I, you know, Armstrong have been see, fairly see open. I think you know, I mean, Army's a great one because it's quite funny. You talk to um, the CEO of Armstrong, and it's just as soon as Army's on a trip, it's a fucking liability because like we all have to sign NDAs <laughs> for the foils, so you can't, you know, if you're on their development side, you know, Armstrong's very hush hush with their development compared to other brands. So like, I signed an NDA, and it was it was hard for me to do much testing with them without signing with them. Um, but as soon as Army goes on trips, he's like, he just froths. And he's just like, there's some random guy at the beach comes up. What's that? He's like, fuck yeah, man, go out, take, tell me what you think. And it's like, prototypes <laughs> are going out, people are just like, and you just know, I was just like, if Nate sees anything, he's just like, fucking, like he'll send you a message, he's like, fucking get those foils off Army. <laughs> <laughs> Like, like, I'm the same. That's why they didn't tell me any dimensions on the foil that I run because they're like, you're going to froth out and you're going to tell someone. So, like, and I was, at the time, I was like, look, I'm, it's also nice to blind test things and not know numbers. Like, it just gives you a completely blank state. You can get it, everything's on feel. So, I was quite happy not to know. And, I like, you know, I feel bad almost because guys go, what, what was it? I was like, I
0: don't, I don't know. I,
2: I never... Like, I,
0: but that's what's, that's what's cool about dealing with emotions, yeah. isn't it? You know, Army, Army is obviously... Frothing on emotion, and because he's got the name on the fucking door, he can say what he wants. It's quite and it, it, it's it's cool. Yeah, yeah. It's cool that you know you've got to, you've got to have someone like Nathan at the top who's obviously going. I'm the businessman. This would be better if nobody knew about yeah. it. But there's always yeah the emotion the emotion is yeah. awesome. And just think you know that random guy on the beach that's just met Army Armstrong and been given a a prototype foil how much he's going to froth over that brand because of that interaction as well.
2: Oh, exactly. And having those interactions, you learn how valuable that is to brands. You know, if you go to a a local beach break and like, you notice like, like so many times, you know, you get heaps of messages for DMS guys going, what should I buy? And I like, it's hard because like I always kind of try and go back and forth. And you're like, all right, well, how heavy are you? What you, conditions are you right? Like you need to get a bit more of a picture before you recommend anything. And I keep saying, I'm like, dude, just go and try borrow a mate, go demo something. And they're like, nine out of ten, like, we don't have those options. So if I show up to a beach and there's some guy there who's super interested, but like it's a big, it's a big, it's a big thing to invest in another wing. You know, potentially it's a, you know, for us, you know, it's almost a thousand dollars, eight hundred bucks you know, I guess for you guys, say 500 pounds or something for a new wing, it's a, it's not just, you know, just throw it out and go, oh yeah, let's just buy another one and try it. Like it's expensive. And so you show up to a place and there's someone who wants to try or is looking at new gear and you go, hey, try some of mine. Like it makes a massive difference to them, to the brand, everything. Like it keeps them stoked. It, like I think having guys like ARMY, that are just so willing to just try it, learn, like everyone's learning together. And like it does, there's it does a lot of good that comes out of it for the brand. Definitely.
1: I think some of the designers are some of the most willing to to share the stuff aren't they because they're getting the feedback yeah, as well. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And you can't just have
1: I really you can't just have it. a team of pro riders that test your gear like what are you going to They're all No, no because they're not they're not the ones exactly. buying it. So, exactly. you know, their, their feedback can be valuable but at the same time I I really liked it when um so I was I went on the North dealer meeting and and Rich um was there as well and the Uli had um one of the first foils like one of the first production ready foils out of the mold that he'd brought for that trip and I remember he like came over and he was like oh um you know we'd been chatting with him and had a bit of a rapport at this point and he realized that we were there doing like reviews for the magazines and whatever and then he was just like oh yeah yeah, I've got this one have a go and he was just like no no keep it to yourself though because Fabian you know the north rider fabian they were like he he hasn't actually used it yet so don't let him see you with it because he's desperate yeah. to have a go and he's like but you know go and take this out and then sure enough like me and rich are kind of taking it in turns we took two sets of gear out we're testing this thing and before you know it when the two of us came in literally fabian was running down and being like is that is that is that the, is that the 850 give me that and i'm just like this is brilliant i love the fact that when the North pro riders is running yeah, up to yeah. us because we've been given this thing off uli first because he was like we were there we were the first ones at the beach with gear who wanted to go out and he was like, yeah, yeah, just take yeah. it out.
0: There's quite a lot so about uh, about the right people testing the kit, though, wouldn't there? There's, you know, the team riders can be great sometimes, but a lot of team riders can't really put into words that feeling yeah. or what they think is wrong wrong with a product or what could possibly be better. Yeah. You know, There are a lot of people that can get on and will just shred the hell out of it and are like, cool, yeah, it's brilliant. But you've got to have the right people on the foils saying, this is exactly what I need this to yeah. do and it doesn't quite do that, and it does this, and maybe you could, you know, that's that's where feedback becomes important there, I guess.
1: Speaking of which, there is a thing that, as far as I'm aware, hasn't yet happened, Oscar, which I think could be a personal objective of yours. Ooh, all right. There is not yet a pro-model foil. No, there
0: isn't. Are you, sh- are you sure? Didn't Mr. Bennett's have that? Oh, he that, did. Uh, the Viper. He, he almost had that. He almost had that, and then I think I don't know what was the story was. I was j- only talking yeah. about and obviously this We've the got day. the
1: progression, which
0: progression is kind of pro rider. Yeah, that's but. a kind pro yeah. of,
1: but there isn't one. Yeah, it, uh, but is it cool? You know, it's still the progression. It's, the Mister Bennett's
2: vibe. No one's names on it. I'm going to Google it now because
0: he got his. He's got his. He's got his logo on. Yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, I is heard. It? I basically. I basically heard the story this this weekend just gone that. Maybe the, well, I it's not called he, the he ended, Bennett's, is it? No, but I think he ended his relationship with them just as it was coming out, and it's still got his logo on it.
1: Yeah. I, I think. I've heard...
0: And I'm completely I, I can't remember the details. Don't that that I, no heard that was, I mean, it's not like me to throw not quite understood information out there, so yeah. I do want to... Say I don't really know, and I don't want to offend anybody by saying that kind of stuff. But nah. that's what I heard, so I'm telling everybody in the world.
2: <laughs> I mean, yeah, I either mean either he, word, that would have know, been, I off, suppose, yeah. the first. I mean, I weirdly met Bennett three years ago, I think it was, and we tested the 150. He started. Bite.
0: He started following us, by the way. Oh, he started following us. We've made. We've we've Feeling we
2: left out, he's like, oh, and, why would they invite Kat, me on the
0: podcast?" And, <laughs>
2: <laughs> he's a good dude to chat with
0: has he got has he got he he, he uh, no doubt he doesn't listen at all so we'll take the piss out of him has he got some character is he good yeah chat? he's a good
2: dude really good dude i got i got a lot oh, of time for cool. him a yeah we met probably three years ago i just got my first setup which was the armstrong 1250 and he was testing the the viper 150 at the time um and we are kind of just trading off. We, we at the time, were tuning our gear very... Like, we kind of go for a pretty similar board angle and front foot, back foot feel, like, in terms of the amount of pressure either way. Um, he has some other things that he tunes a little differently, but we, we can usually quite comfortably switch between us. So we had a session earlier this year testing some gear as well, and same thing, we're, we're quite easy. Like, other guys, you get on their gear and you're just, like... It's unrideable. It takes you... The whole session to even remotely start to tune in to what they're riding, but we're usually pretty easy to switch between. But he tunes his gear. He's someone who rides a really long fuse and then tiny tails. So he's got a, a very unique tuning to anyone else. But then you look at him ride; he rides better than anyone else. So, yeah, he's definitely onto something. I
0: wouldn't mind having a play on 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 that that kind of thing. The the whole. Because we've talked about it in the past, Liam and I, about reducing um, rear wing lengths, and Liam's fairly committed to thinking that the the longer fuselage is better, and then that. Then... I think I think
1: it depends on the wing. I think it depends yeah. on the wing. Yeah.
0: But it got I backed it up by on the fact that... and
1: the conditions. I think when the, I think when you're riding at higher speeds and you're trying to ride critically, that's when I would definitely say, yeah, longer fuse, smaller rear yeah. wing seems to give you more speed, more pitch control, all the rest yeah. of it. If you're in sort of mid-size and you're trying to get a bit whippy and have fun, then, yeah, that's when that's when you're not going to be so bothered. Yeah. I mean, I'd just like to have, yeah, it'd be great to have enough toys for us to actually have the luxury of being able to play with that and having the conditions to go out back-to-back and make those yeah. assessments.
2: I mean, yeah, testing gear back-to-back is, you know... I think foiling, a lot of guys go down the rabbit hole of tr- using the gear to correct their own mistakes. There are so many guys that are like, oh, I need to get a new tail. Oh, it was it's the tail. I didn't have the right shim in. I need the other this, that. Like, the gear's at, at such a level now where it's all so good. And I think if you just spend the time on it and ride it, that's the biggest progressions you'll make. And yeah, it's fun to, to try new feelings, but... Just tuning in with your own gear and just riding the same thing for a month, nothing else. Whether it's winging, whatever it is, just ride the same setup for a month straight. The amount you learn is just in your own self. Like what are you doing and all that. It's not just what the gear is doing. So there's...
0: that's the only negative side of um, of having these, the Axis and the Armstrong and the F1, where each month you get a new product.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: And I, 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 having conversations with with shops of ours who want to try a new rear wing and a new fuselage, and you're like, mate, just fucking calm yeah. down, just get used to get used to what you've got. That's the only disadvantage, I guess, of of everything becoming a lot more modular now, which everything yeah. is. Yeah, um, is is it is it is, is more achievable, and it's you know it's only a few hundred quid to to change a rear wing, for yeah. instance. Yeah. The and I, I'm, we've. Talked about it in the past, but I've probably changed far. T- well, I know I've changed far too much with what setups I ride, and I like to think I've probably stuck a lot more recently with the same kit. And I maybe wouldn't say my riding's got better, but I feel a bit more comfortable because you know how something's going to react and, and how it's going to respond. Yeah, because of it, because of the because of the time you've yeah, taken on it. Yeah.
2: Exactly.
1: So, how long you got left out where you are, Oscar?
2: Um. That's actually a good question. So, we're back on Maui now. Um, so, I still, as much as I'd love this to be my full-time job, it's not my full-time job. I have a day job. Um, so, I'm working remotely while I'm here. Um, so, usually I spend the mornings working and then we go training,
1: foiling um, from like midday onwards. And what, what do you do for work? What, what, what project are you billing this to? <laughs> Is this professional development or networking? Um, so, or? I'm
2: sort of working geospatial. Um, I, at the moment, I'm working for an environmental consulting company. So we do everything from app development for field teams to go out into the field and collect their data to sort of streamlining the data processing to client side applications for clients to view their data. It's, yeah, it's a super interesting job, but it's just one that I can do remotely. I kind of finished up with uni while I was, um, in the middle of COVID, um, and kind of transitioned into the full-time workforce in the middle of COVID while everyone was at home, and was thankful that the the company I was at they were just like, well, turns out this actually works well. Everyone being at home, so stay at home, and so it just meant that I, like I grew up in Sydney, so um, it meant that I could move down the coast and and stay there, and you know still keep a job. And same thing here, like I I called work kind of when this trip came up. Um, Sort of called them and sort of said, Hey, what are your thoughts on looking to go to Hawaii for a month um, to FOIL? How would that work with you guys? And they're just like, Yeah, sure, go for it. And we had, we had a big meeting. Do they
0: know? Do they... Sorry. I was just, do they know how much of a big deal you are? Have you uh, had to explain that to them or not? I,
2: I, I think that most of them know that I sort of surf. That's about it. I sort of don't. I was like, oh, yeah, you, you're, you're still the surfer. You like surfing. I was like, yeah, yeah, I like surfing. That's
1: about as far as I go with it.
0: <laughs> less, le- yeah, let's leave it at that. <laughs> I,
1: started, I started a new engineering job a couple of months ago, and um, my boss's dad listens to the podcast. <laughs> really? That's
2: a good connection. That's very cool.
1: That's a really good connection. That's I
2: great.
0: that was
1: quite funny. Eh? Well, I haven't come across any
2: other foil. I just well. like the
0: conversations I have with... Um, I like the conversations I have with family and and friends. When you get introduced as like the kite surfer, yeah, and you're like, yeah, I roll with it. That's what yep. I do. <laughs> oh, oh, you know, do you are you going kiting this weekend? Yeah, let's just <laughs> go with that. I'm not interested in it. Do you, oh, have you seen that thing that that come? Uh, y- yeah, I've seen it. That's yeah. We, <laughs> just you can see the questions just leading down a path, and you're like, I'm just. I'm just going to go over here. I'm just going to go yeah. somewhere else because it's not worth the time yeah. and the effort to explain The this. number
2: of foiling conversations, like in Sydney, like if there's people around, like you'll often be like, all right, got to go in. And you look on the beach and there's like five people who've been standing there pointing and watching. <laughs> You're like, this conversation's going to be longer than it takes you to go get another wave and wait for them to leave. So I'm like, I'm going to get yeah. another wave and they'll leave.
0: <laughs> I, uh, I cracked myself in the face with my board. Uh, I don't know, like a 12 months ago, a while ago, and my it literally split my whole eyebrow. Right. Uh, I had 10 stitches in my in my face, and we were at the local spot that Liam and I ride at loads. And it's the same thing. You've got to walk up quite a popular beach to get to the shop at the top, and I literally just ditched all my kit on the beach. And so I'd I'd, sw- I'd done it the other side of the channel, blood just pissing down my face, and I think by the time I got there. It was, it was open. Like, it was very, very, very graphic. And I am I was having the same conversation in my mind, thinking, well, I need to get off the water, but I don't want to be accosted by all these people being like, what's that spot? Oh, my God. Are you? Like, <laughs> And you could just see it. You would have walked past one, and it would have been one conversation, and then you would have walked to the next person, and it I would think, have been yeah, exactly the same conversation.
1: I you to ignore them and carry on.
0: Yeah, but I, I just remember... Like, like my main concern, main concern, bearing in mind, eyebrows split open with two big slices that are like a centimetre deep or centimetre centimeter open each. And my main concern was keep your head down and make sure nobody tries to talk to you because <laughs> I can't be arsed <laughs> trying to talk to them about it all. And then go into the shop and, uh, and Liam was in there and said, like, oh, you, you look you look pretty fucked, mate. Let's, uh, let's go to the hospital.
2: Oh mate, I've done it. did it on our first. We went to New Zealand early this year on a, a trip, and first I think first session I borrowed a buddy's board and it was a slightly longer board than I'd ridden, um, and I just well, I don't know. I wasn't thinking. I kind of came off the top over the top of a wave, and I'm used to having a shorter nose, but with a little bit longer nose, I kind of went to drive over the top, and I, the nose just touched. and I just kind of fell forward and like came up, and the board. I looked over the board was just on its side, and like so slowly just came over and just like bumped me on the side of head, but it just it was right on that kind of ice, sock and it just split and i was like oh shit i'll go in and i did the same thing i sat in the shore you know you got a foil as well and you're kind of like i don't want people to go oh the foils are dangerous i was like just sat there like rolling in the shore just constantly like wiping it so the blood didn't come off and like eventually there was a moment when no one was around i was like like, almost ran up the beach just avoid everyone and then like (laughs) i was i'd red-eyed in i was so jet-lagged at this stage and i was just like i was like you know what i was like i'm not gonna go and tell everyone so I was like i kind of just put the board up and just put it over me and just went to sleep and like i i, I think it, it probably was still bleeding but i was just like i could deal with it later like i'm tired we will just whatever and i was just like fell asleep under the board and i think one of them came and woke me up later and it's like just dried blood just everywhere just like what the fuck you know, I'm like, so they think I'm passed out, and I was like, this is not looking good, but Taddy, who's actually one of the, another Armstrong rider, she's a, a an anesthetist, um, so she had, yeah, well, they, they say anesthesiologist, we say anesthetist, but, I don't know, potato, potato, but she, yeah, she's just like, she's like, oh, don't worry, I've got surgical glue with me, because, like, as soon as you get stitches, like, stay out of the water, and I was like, day one, so I was like, she just pinched it, glued it was in the water that afternoon.
1: Perfect. I thought surgical glue was just super glue. I've always just used super We're, glue. I'm the same. I've I always travel. I've got it here.
0: Believe it or not,
1: it is. That's probably something that has to go in the foiling toolkit yeah. nowadays, isn't it really?
0: I'm not sure. I'm not sure my uh, my eyebrow was being stitched together with Yeah. No, no that a
1: bit
2: Dermabon more. Advanced that a bit topical skin <laughs> adhesive. Oh you know, God, it comes out like okay. purple. I think the stuff in the end sort of purple, but that wonder stuff.
0: I feel like I've used it before, but I can't remember. I can't remember what I've used it. On.
2: And then I still got from the old days remember. of travelling. I've got um super glue.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so full, let's let's go fully in reverse order. Then, since we've started with the yep. Molokai, and now now we're ending with your or getting towards the end with your history. What were you doing prior to foiling? Water base is it all just surfing. been surf yeah. stuff for you? You mentioned you haven't Okay, so you haven't done any wing, you hadn't done any wind stuff before this, so it's all predominantly surfing. What what drew you to foiling from surfing? Um
2: so I initially I had a buddy up the road that um had gotten a foil set. He was a pro bodyboarder that I think Gofoil had sent him a setup. And so he kinda had this big board, he was like, dude, have a crack at it and I was like You know, seeing him with this big board, I was like, oh yeah, like a kinda looks fine. I think I'd seen the Kai Lenny video of him pumping out and I was like, oh that's cool. But then I obviously saw him and I was like, this guy's one of the most talented watermen around and I was like, and you're not making this look fun. And I he's like, Have a go, we're out on a, just having a surf and he's like, have a go, and I was like, kinda got one and was like Got a glimpse of the glide and was a little bit like, oh shit, like this is, there's something to this. And I think eventually I took a few months later, I bought like a Chinese knockoff setup. It was rubbish, useless, but I kind of got it enough that I could like pump out and get to another wave. And like I, because we got a surf bracket and we learned prone.
1: How long did that take you?
2: Oh... I'm going to say probably 12 sessions. I think it took it took me seven. eight or six to eight before I really got comfortable on it. And then it was just a few more, like all I wanted to do was link a wave. Because like surfing, you're just so, I ride the wave and you're stuck with the wave. But foiling, I think the appeal is that it's a bit more three-dimensional. You can look out the back. You see most foilers, they stand to their feet and the first thing they do is look behind them and go, is there something else coming? Is there something better? It's... Like, that ability to <laughs> pump away and connect to other waves was kind of what was that idea. I was like, that's sick. So, all I was doing was just getting speed, kicking off, and I'd pump out to the next one. But, you know, the foils at that time, like, it was like the Nash thrust kind of looking thing. And it was just, it didn't pump at all. And I'd be absolutely gassed just getting, like, two connections. And I like I just was like, hey, this is kind of fun. But, like, I just didn't get it. I was like, nah. And, like, I just stopped doing it. For like probably a year to a year and a half and i was just like there's not much i was just like oh, it's not really into this and i think at the time by that stage axis had brought out some higher aspect wings and sort of surf wings were coming out and i um I was a friend who was like oh i've got a buddy jeremy who was jeremy Wiltmore. he's like come for a foil with this and i was like it took so much convincing i was like no nah, i'm all right like Rather go do something else. And I was like, he's like, no, no, come on, come on. Like, you have to come. And I was like, yeah, all right. And like, I saw Jeremy on the first wave. And I was still on the inside because I was genuinely like, I don't even want to paddle. I was just so just not into it. (laughs) And he got this wave and just like was doing roundhouse cutbacks, these wraps. And I was just like, I was like, what have I been doing? Like, I didn't even think you could turn these things. I never even tried to. I just. Kicked off and pumped out, and all of a sudden I just went like I think I stayed at Jeremy's for like two hours afterwards, and he was like, "You know, you got to cut this off. You've got to get a new tail wing. You've got to do this. You got to." And I was just like, my mind was just ray. I was like, "All right, all right," and I was just going. Nice. I mean, I drove home and started cutting tail wings and trying to make tail like, and it just all of a sudden I was just so addicted, and that's pretty much from then on. So that's probably been. That was right at the start of COVID, sort of getting into COVID once COVID had started, so maybe three years ago. And that kind of
0: Do we reckon do we reckon COVID's escalated the uh, evolution of it at all?
2: There was definitely like I mean all brands there was an exponential growth during COVID. It just started taking off, you know, people had money, they weren't travelling, spending as much, they all of a sudden, Instagram started feeding foil videos and just, you know, there was a massive growth during COVID. I think the progression in...
1: I, I, love, sure that, I, I love that everybody's it. literally... We've had one of the... We've had the first global pandemic of our generation and multiple generations. And I love that everybody has the same association with it, which is, yeah, everybody had time on their hands and more money than usual. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: And they started doing all these extra activities and got fit and <laughs> healthy, and you're like, oh wow! What and then it's
0: all—it's all gone back to normal now. Everyone's fat and yeah, everyone's
2: something. back. Yeah, but I think the the progression in gear is somewhat slow. There is a a turnaround time with gear. I mean, I know, and also like understanding the applications of gear. You know, we were kind of saying that like, what well, what's Armstrong going to market this new high aspect as? And you sort of you kind of know what it works for you guys but like no they just keep coming out with new things and it was the same with the downwind board initially nath was like yeah yeah, we can make you a, a downwind board like we don't make downwind boards but we can make you a specific one and i was like oh sick and like i had been making my own boards in the past so i was like i knew exactly what i wanted and i was like i knew i just didn't want to let them make one so i was like why don't i just send you a rough file to be like this is kind of what i'm thinking and kind of just get my at least my dimensions into it and let you guys go with it from there and like it was rough like i'm not it wasn't anything that i'm sure they even used but my dimensions were in there and that's kind of what came out of the first downwind board and they were kind of just umming and ahring, and we're like we kind of went through prototypes and went through a heap of boards and was like all right well is this gonna be market or are we gonna make any money out of this like you can't just keep refining board and army was tuning like i kind of got to test a bunch but army's was three boards ahead of whatever i was on at that stage he was just forever tuning and refining and then they kind of went all right you know we got to something that we we're really happy with and also kind of something that would be something that guys could grow into because i think board design was going so radical at the time and you know we released them and then all of a sudden the biggest feedback was this is a game changer for winging. I can downsize my wind wing, get rid of my two biggest sizes, and I can ride a smaller foil. Like, this is game changer. And we're like, this isn't even remotely what we designed this for. Mm. No one even thought, oh, yeah, this will be great for winging. And it's just like, that just rolled, like, that's probably the biggest part of the sales of the downing board, is guys winging. And that's where, while the progression in gear, you know, we're working towards one thing what comes out of it every time is different. Guys just go with it in a different direction, use it in a different situation, and it works amazing for it, and that takes off. And so, like, it's just so hard to, you know, you progress with gear, you you design it for one point, but you just, you get people on it, and they just, and that's what's so cool about the sport. Like, you know, I came from a surf background. I never winged. I did no windsurfing, kiting. I had no wind background. I, it just wasn't stuff that we didn't have the conditions for. It wasn't stuff we did, whereas now all of a sudden... We're linking up with all the local windsurfers and kiters and like we're all sharing with that, and like that progression has brought a lot of
0: people. Yeah, I was I was at I was at a winds windsurf shop today, uh, which is why I'm sat in a hotel room outside London, alone. (laughs) But I was I was at a windsurf shop, having the same conversation. You know, we we distribute kite brands. I'm a kiter. My colleague Tom's a kiter. I don't know windsurf brands. I walk into a windsurf shop and nobody knows who I am. They don't know that I'm the generic foil pod wang lord. They just <laughs> think I'm some weird kitesurfer. Uh, and it's actually as and and it's like um, dinghy sailors. As that's the most um, the newest coming to the brand or coming to the to the. Um, oh, I've lost what I'm trying to say, but. You know, there's dinghy sailors winging now. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. windsurfers, there's paddleboarders, there's kiters, Suddenly, we're all having these conversations. We all used to think windsurfers were a bunch of fucking idiots, <laughs> and they thought the same about kites. But yeah. suddenly, you're like, oh, what what stab are you running uh, on yeah. your setup? And yeah. sudden and suddenly, these these friendships uh, pop up. Yeah. Uh, that's, yeah that's, it's, it's one been platform so good about it around here. that
2: brings us all together which is so cool like it's mm-hmm. the foils the one platform whether it's you know you're doing it with a wing or a stand-up paddle or a pro whatever it is it seems to be bringing everyone to this one thing and it's the same the windsurfers are seeing how much fun it is and how much it you know easier effectively it is i mean i know same thing kiting you know kiting i had no way all i've seen him kiting is guys getting dragged through power lines in car parks at the back of beaches. And I was just like, there is no way I'm ever strapping one of those things to me. I was like, that is the gnarliest thing I've ever seen. And it's the same thing. You now start meeting those guys, and they're like, you know, we've got issues with launching. We need space. We need all this sort of stuff. The learning can be, you know, it's pretty safe with all the quick releases, all that stuff. But, you know, the winging now is bringing all those guys into it because they can go to new locations that they couldn't before. And like, so then now they're getting interested. And like, it just seems like there's so many disciplines all coming. You know, Armstrong's got a heavy sailing background. All the sailors are in now into wingings. Like it's bringing all these guys to this one platform and, and making this, yeah, it's just such a good community. I think around it, that's, that's the biggest thing I've found with it. Like surfing's just a hardcore, like there's the local crew and that's kind of it. You go to a new place. It's not like someone paddles out and goes, Oh dude, you should come over here. We're all like, we all surf over this break. It's Mm. way better. Like come over
1: with us. Like, it doesn't happen, but, but it would have been. It like that. Yeah, it would have been. Yeah,
0: it would have been. Fifty. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, how many years ago would that be now? Sixties, I reckon. In, in, an old, 60s. in an old
1: job, I made friends with a dude who literally not a single person in the office knew that he surfed because very few people are into water sports in a lot of like professional environments. And um, this geezer was basically one of the first surfers in Devon and Cornwall. Like, this is the area in the southwest of the UK where we live. Um, You know, this was before wetsuits. And he was like, he literally used to say, I could go pretty much anywhere and know if, you know, if I was to bump into somebody in the water, I'd pretty much know everybody at every beach in Devon and Cornwall because there was less than 50 of us in total.
0: Yeah. Which is crazy to think of now, this many years later. With how much that's exploded, and
1: prone foiling's oh. pretty much that. There's probably less, you know. It's not. It's not going to exceed in that. Maybe it is now in the last couple of years, but it's not that many much more in our two counties doing it.
0: I remember hearing about kiting though, wasn't it on the old um, the Red Bull Upwind video? And there's, you know, they're saying when kiting started over there on Hawaii, if it was a red kite, it was so and so. If it was a blue kite, it was so and so. And it's the same when we're. In fact, you when you were kite foiling the other day, Liam. Uh, at the hangtime party we were at and you were on the water and I just looked out into the distance and saw someone kite foiling across and tiny little board, F1 foil, duotone kite. I know exactly who that is straight away. Likewise, when, when you're prone foiling, you can see them all from the headland at Crantock, you know exactly who it is. Yeah. You know exactly which one Tom Earle is because he's the only one that's actually making it look much good. <laughs> it's cool. It's good. It's a good position to be in and it's like... Um, Liam said about the downwind stuff ages ago, whenever the hell we started this podcast, uh, it's a really exciting time for you to be part of that scene because every single person that's on that water at the same time as you is a pioneer in, in what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. Which is cool.
2: Oh, absolutely.
0: And and we were sat at home like a couple of... Well, no, I was sat at home like a nerd watching. <laughs> I mean, there is a... Some shit over here.
2: Yeah, there's that, that element of... Well, I, guess, I mean, yeah, pioneering, but just adventure with downwinding. I think that will always draw certain people Don't let to it go it. to your head,
0: by the way, Oscar. Nah. Don't, don't let all that go Not to your head. Not until
1: you won. <laughs> First loser, mate. I'm still a loser.
0: <laughs> Doesn't matter how you look at it. <laughs> now all right, right shall from... we wrap it up? Yeah.
2: yeah, let's do it. That was a good chat. Jeez, what are we at? Two. Oh,
0: wow. Yeah. It's
2: been a while. The recording's probably I feel probably so sorry for everybody to listen this
1: shit back. <laughs> that's us that's us uh,
0: that's it. it feels like we could have just be put be a
2: recorder in a pub and just sat down and <laughs> talked shit anyway that is well, the dream that's the
0: whole point that's, yeah. that is the dream I tell you what if you guys because we're not going over to Australia because we don't get paid enough but if you two you and I and um, if you and Jeremy get Army to pay for you to come over here yeah let's do a fucking live podcast in a pub and let's just get shit faced yeah <laughs>
2: Good luck to you guys That'd trying to clean great. the audio up.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. That one had gone. I, I do wonder is. how they. Yeah, yeah. Well, we we were we. I would love to do um, live shows like that. Are you guys doing AWSI?
1: If someone oh pays for us to be there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, we're not. That would be sick, though. If yeah, I don't know how the hell we do. Anyway, let's let's worry about that.
2: More logistics. Another time. We'll be over there. Let's do a live one. Um, I'll, I'll propose yeah, it would, to Arnold. I would love
0: that. <laughs> maybe, we just, maybe we just need to get a little bit of money from each brand so we can yeah. slag each one of them It's off. a bit like
1: the GWA and the GKA. There's the Global Kite Sports Association, whatever. We're going to be the Global GFP Association and we need a little bit of money off every single brand so that we yeah. can take the piss out of all of them. <laughs> yeah.
2: Keeping, everyone, keeping everyone's all right. egos down. I like this. That's just yeah. the goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Get a big head, mate. Yeah, yeah it's quite a Maybe hard that sell, should though. be
0: literally... Maybe we put that together in a little portfolio and just literally word it exactly like that. Yeah. We need £20 off all of you so we don't call you all wankers. And then... Or and we're then, just one of you wankers. Anybody
1: side. that doesn't chip in will be like, their ego's too big. They don't want bringing down a step. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Once you get enough involved, the rest have to come to the table. They're just going yeah, to look exactly. bad. Yeah, that's
0: true. Yeah, that's true. I love all it. All right. Thank you very much for your time, Oscar. Appreciate uh, it. It's been a very enjoyable conversation that we've had for weeks now. So I'm really glad that we actually managed to sit down. And it, yeah. It Joke, was, joking it was cool. aside, it
1: was right. seriously impressed. And hope that yeah, hope that you're stoked on the result because it's fucking rad. And the fact that you <laughs> and Jimmy did come first and second is brilliant yeah yeah It's very good. nah I was super stoked it was
2: uh it was an adventure out there and far beyond what I was expecting, so it was just a wild journey. looking forward to just going home back to a small town and having a prone session a circus once it all goes but it's, you miss home. can't wait to get back but i'm gonna start i'm gonna start looking at your coastline. I'm gonna give you guys a downwind run start something to start with maybe. I'm sure you guys have probably stared at every Google map of your coastline and tried to work it out, but
1: Kit, we did, we did Kit, get...
0: Kit is holding us back. Yeah, yeah, Kit is holding us back at the moment. We're getting there. <clears throat> I haven't got much at the minute either. We're, we're getting there. We are getting there. Anyway, let's because we're waffling now. Yeah, uh, let's say our fake goodbyes, <laughs> and then we'll talk. We'll talk in a second. <laughs> um, Thanks, guys. Bye. <laughs> there you go. That's all it was. Just that.